Blog Talk Radio. Yakuza! Yakuza! Yakuza Kick Radio! 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 This is the bulldozer, Matt Tremont. That's this one place to listen to on the internet every Thursday, 9 p.m. Yakuza Kick Radio. Tremont says so. Who wants some? God help us, Jesus! Garden baby, Jesus! Help us. Ladies and gentlemen of fucking America, this is Danny Havoc, and you have been listening to, or possibly are intending to listen to, the Yakuza Kick fucking radio. Fucking, yeah! Yakuza Kick radio. Hell fucking yeah! My name is Justice Payne, and you are listening to Yakuza Kick radio. You're coming to come on Thursday this is a brotherhood, and we all stick together. Like my nuts. I ain't scared of you, motherfucker. Yakuza Kick Radio, the best in internet wrestling radio, period, bar none, just like Adam Cole. Everybody's a cunt but me in the world. I don't know what it is. But you go to the back, and you tell your boss that there's a new Yakuza in town. And Yakuza Kick Radio, and we're taking over. Yakuza Kick Radio has risen from the ashes of bad internet radio and become the premier place for any independent professional wrestler to stop and record their voice. Well, this is Mr. Insanity Toby Klein, and if you're not listening to Yakuza Kick Radio, then you're weird. Oh, I don't like the cut of your jib, fella. This is Greg Excellent, bearded dragon of the Northeast. You're listening to Yakuza Kick Radio. If you're not, you're probably watching porn. You have this muted. You should be listening to it. Jason Man. Where are Biggie and Tupac? Yakuza Kick Radio. Give a nigga rope on that cowboy, guys. All you have to do is listen to Yakuza Kick Radio, but you couldn't. Now look at that guy, you homie. Fuck that. Black dude. Bullshit, man. Motherfucker. Fuck you. Fuck you and fuck you. Who's next? And now, ladies and gentlemen, for the introduction. Hosted by J. Cat Morris. You are now listening to Yakuza Kick Radio. It is Wednesday, April 1st, 2015. Welcome to Yakuza Kick Radio. I'm your host, J-Cat Morris. As always, uh, this will be uh, my first show as a 37-year-old. Uh, you know, uh, the birthday over the weekend. I'm definitely going to get into some of the, the festivities that I, uh, you know, uh, you know, did some stuff over the weekend, had some fun. I'm definitely you know, going to get into some of that. Um Shortly, I should have on my guest, Reed Bentley. I'm excited to talk to that dude. And, um, you know, I'm going to go over WrestleMania later on. Uh, you know, a little more other uh, wrestling-related drama, so to speak, to talk about later. Um, um, oh, uh, in other news, Nick Gage got out of uh, prison the other day. So that's really good to see. You know, a lot of people are posting pictures with him and stuff. Uh, it's good to see him out and about, and um, yeah, I wish that guy the best, man. He's one of the most entertaining guys on the Indies. He is one of the absolute faces of CZW, 
that guy is uh, a staple of what CZW is all about, the aggression. Um, and I've said it time and time again. That guy is the Stone Cold Steve Austin of CZW. Uh, no maybes about it. So um, it, it's good to see him out. I'm looking to see his promos pop up again. Uh, he's booked a whole bunch of places already. He was booked long before he got out. And, um, and yeah, I'm excited to see him, uh, you know, back out on the scene. He looks great. And, uh, you know, like I said, I wish him all the best. So uh, there's that. Let me see. Uh, what do I want to get into? Um, well, shit. You know, I've been uh, doing my thing, training, gym and everything else. Um, Monday, I, I finally decided... I was actually, I was exhausted on Monday, and I left my cell phone charger home, so my fucking phone was about to die, so I was like, well, I have no music. Um, If I go to the gym, I'm not going to have any music, which is, um, I'm definitely not into not having the music at the gym, so um, I was like, you know, and I'm exhausted, I'm like falling asleep on lunch, I'm like, well, I'm going to go home, I'm going to charge my cell phone, I'm going to go for a run, and you know, I had planned on my uh, I, I put in my mind, just go, you know I mean? Do a big run. Try to put out something big because the races start next month. Well, this month, actually, now. And, um, you know, it makes me think, and shit, man, I haven't really put in a big run uh, this year at all. Um, you know, six miles here and there, but, I mean, shit. Um, super, uh, the Spartan Beast is 12 miles on a goddamn mountain, so... You know, I mean, shit, I should be running large chunks, but this winter thing doesn't want to go away, and I hate the fucking cold. Yeah, you know, can't bullshit on that. But anyway, I, um, so I went out there, and, uh, I ran fucking 12 miles on one day. It took me an hour, or not an hour. I wish it took me an hour. That'd be crazy. But, uh, two hours and one minute took me to run, uh, 12 miles. So pretty fucking intense, man. My legs were absolutely dead yesterday. Feeling a little sore today, but, you know, nothing in comparison. And, you know, feeling pretty good. Right back at it. Um, Let me see. I don't know. uh, Like I said, I'm waiting on Reed to call in. So uh, hold on. Let me check this. All right. Uh, Yeah, like I said, I haven't seen him pop up just yet. I should be calling in any minute. I may end up taking a break. That way I can see where he's at there and then, um, you know, pop back on. Because I have a lot to talk about and I don't want to, you know, step on anything or, um, you know, jump back and forth in between doing things. You know, that's that's one of my uh, things as far as the, uh, the podcast goes. To jump back and forth or start something and come back to it later, it's, uh, you know, a pain in the ass. But, um, oh, another thing is uh, next week my guest will be Joey Janela. So uh, he's been tearing it up on the indies, stealing shows all over the place and whatnot. Um, so, you know, the week before Best of the Best going in, they'll be on to, uh, you know, talk Best of the Best and everything else he's been doing. Um, a lot of big stuff with him going on. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that too. Uh, let me um, take a break and um, see if I can uh, contact Reed, and then I'll uh, I'll get right back to this. Let me see. I'm sure, I got a track I could play. All right, check this out. 
She's eating good. Like an infant on a double D titty, just getting plump. Cause you miscalculated the next to the, the last pump. Dump, dump in the gut, raw from the giddy up. Dump, dump in the gut, raw from the giddy up. Yup, dump in the gut, raw from the giddy up. Dump, dump in the gut, raw from the giddy up. Yup, dump in the gut, raw from the giddy up. Dump, dump in the gut, raw from the giddy up. Yup, dump in the gut, raw from the giddy up. Dump, dump in the gut, raw from the giddy up. Out the gate, two pistols Hold no weight, straight face, too simple Fishburn, Larry, on some king of New York shit Two guns up, rip a signature walk, bitch Diddy, bop, bop, pox, and call shit Got shot once, now get shot some more, bitch, bitch Enemy of the state, my gun said the bullet be the enemy of your face Y'all niggas tricking in strip clubs Wait outside, stick the bitch with the fist, uh I don't care what you say after. He lead the stage to 12 gates with the gay rapper. Frank Ocean fan. You slow stroking your uh, with the lotion hand. I'm a rude boy. Be no lotion man. Coast to coast, so local with the vocals, fam. Big dump in the gut, raw from the giddy up. Dump, dump in the gut, raw from the giddy up. Yup, dump in the gut, raw from the giddy up. Dump, dump in the gut, raw from the giddy up. Yup, dump in the gut, raw from the giddy up. Dump, dump in the gut, raw from the giddy up. Yup, dump in the gut, raw from the giddy up. Dump, dump in the gut, raw from the giddy up. S-E-A-N-P-2-R-I-C-E, the the nigga, I see you the ball talking your shit, the guard get the bark in the fist, leave your face fucked up, Paul Harbor the flick, showing us the shit, A.K.A. El Duque, detect tenderize in your face, fuck is you too shake, nigga, I'm thinking you frown, the jump man know your joints look like Tinkerbell, Mondulu, the sergeant at arms, the guard shoot you, the weapon is brutal, you dead spin tutu, I'm not the pimper for John, I'm the Don Cornelius, ape raping the song. Fuck around and put two in your head. Hopefully it'll pop up soon. Um, I might as well just get into WrestleMania. Um, all right. So, basically, um, I, I thought the show was awesome. Straight up awesome. So, um, let me see. I know I, I put up the fucking results here somewhere. All right. Um, I didn't catch too much of the uh, initial uh, tag match. And, uh, you know... I mean, from what I saw, it was good. I caught the tail end of it. Uh, Tyson Kidd and Cesaro uh, retained the titles. Um, Next up, they had um, the uh, Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. Now, you know, they started this last year, and, you know, just seeing what they did with it last year, it held no credibility. The Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal had no credibility to it at all because, you know, last year they more or less, they gave it to Cesaro, which was great. He had actually gotten on, you know, somewhat of a tear 
where it seemed like he was turned in face. They really had all the um, everything lined up for him to be turning face. The fans were popping for it. He started to do the big swing a lot where the fans were counting the rotations. And, uh, you know, all, all signs were pointing to them really doing something with Cesaro, and they kind of capped it with him leaving the uh, the gimmick he was in with the, um, you know, swagger and everything and going into, you know, more of a solo thing. I mean, they turned around and, and made him a Paul Heyman guy almost immediately after. So it was heel turn to heel turn. Um, so it didn't really make a lot of sense. And, you know, in the end, they kind of left him in limbo because he went from that and then um, then he was trying to click up with the authority and Triple H kind of gave him like, hey, yeah, maybe uh, prove yourself or some kind of shit. And, you know, for a lot of time, they just bounced him up and down the card and really didn't have any direction for him. So, you know, giving him the Battle Royal last year turned out to be completely meaningless because it didn't, it didn't work as some kind of springboard or tool that they used to push him forward, which would be, you know, obviously a very good tool to put someone over in a Battle Royal, um, you know, especially like brand new gimmick, and he's the first winner. You know, I mean, they have every opportunity to do something with the guy after that, and I'd say, I just don't think they did at all. I mean, that was pretty clear. Um, so, you know, going into this year, it's like, well, you know, you could write the ship and you could do something with it. Everybody lined up in there. It kind of looked like the only you know route they could have went to make any kind of sense would be do the Miz Dow versus Miz, you know, feud and have Miz, Miz Dow go over in the end, right? Uh, kind of the way they were going and then they turned it out to um, be just kind of like a rub for a big show which you know I, I don't have a huge problem with especially you know Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal it seems something completely cut out for the big show but I mean the big show is just really not over I mean there's nothing about the big show that's it's got to be a partial going away present as far as um, you know the big show and giving him anything at this point because I mean, what are we really doing? I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But, um, you know, the, the other thing I have a little bit of a problem with as far as this Battle Royal thing, I don't think it's a good idea. Um, if you have guys working double duty, it's fine. I understand a guy, you know, doing something and coming out later and doing something else. But to have a four-way tag match... And then immediately after that, I think minus like one Uso or something, the entire contents of that four-man tag match is in a battle royal. I just, I don't think that that shit looks good at all. I really don't. I I think you got to just keep those guys off the card. I mean, especially right after their tag match. Like the motherfuckers might as well stayed in the ring and waited for everybody else to show up for the, uh, the battle royal. I just think it looks dumb. So, again, they give Big Show the thing, which, again, I don't think there's anything you can make out of it. Big Show is what Big Show is. I mean, there's really no up and down with him at this point. Uh, however they decide to book him is just going to be what it is. I mean, they've had Big Show a big slobbering, crying mess in the middle of the ring, and they've had him, you know, uh, taking everybody out with the punch. So, depending week to week what they feel like doing with Big Show is just kind of going to be what it's going to be. Uh, I don't think having him win a battle royal or having him lose a battle royal at this point makes any difference in what Big Show's look is. So, like I said, I I, I just kind of see it as like a going away present for the Big Show. 
So, uh, you know, that that's fine. Um, you know, so coming off of that, they go into the main show. And on the main show, you have um, – it opens up with the seven-man seven intercontinental title – holy shit – Seven-man intercontinental title ladder match. Um, And, you know, these guys killed it. I mean, this was an awesome match. I mean, they did so much shit all over the place. Ambrose took a huge fucking uh, spot to the outside. The ladder, like, broke in half, brutally painful. And that more or less took him out of the match. Um, They gave Daniel Bryan the win, which, you know, is completely fine. And another thing is, is, like, I don't want to... I, you know, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, but um, I heard a lot of negative bullshit about this fucking WrestleMania. The majority of people gave it a fucking A plus and said it was one of the best WrestleManias top to bottom, you know, ever. But in the same token, you heard other people on podcasts and everything else saying, "Oh, it wasn't shit," and "Oh, well, Daniel Bryan won." Well, but that's a that's a that's a downgrade for Daniel Bryan because it's, you know, the IC title and it's not not the world title. But, Jesus Christ, no one was complaining about Cena winning the fucking U.S. title. I mean, a guy having a different spot on the card and holding a belt, you know, winning a seven-man ladder match, I, I don't see that as a downgrade. I understand it's not the world fucking title, but what, what difference does that make? I mean, I have such an issue with people getting handed great wrestling and great performances and and shitting on it because they just need a reason to do it. They just have to be too cool to be satisfied. It's it's fucking brutal to me. Um, and, and, you know, I'll be honest, and I tried to be as um, optimistic as I could last week in, um, you know, previewing WrestleMania, but I didn't have – the highest hopes in the world for WrestleMania. A lot of the card looked kind of eh, not so, you know, not so great. But they fucking they performed their ass off on this WrestleMania. They really put on a great show, top to bottom. Uh, you know, great surprises, uh, hard hitting shit. I mean, they went all out on this WrestleMania, and uh, you know, I just I, I can't find it in me to just turn fucking negative on this and say, well, that's you know fine, but I'm still angry because of such and such. Like, fuck that, dude. This was awesome. I wish that they could put on every pay-per-view to look like this, you know? And, I mean, after last last uh, month's pay-per-view that was, you know, just a complete build, last month's pay-per-view just looked like a, a Monday Night Raw straight up. Like, there was nothing, uh, there was nothing spectacular about last month's pay-per-view. And, um, you know, to go from that, which was just a build-up to WrestleMania, was, um, you know, to give us this WrestleMania the way that they did. I, I can't see not being happy about it. Next up was Randy Orton and Seth Rollins. And I uh, was surprised to see this this young on the card, but, you know, it made sense later on, too, with Rollins coming back out. Um, this was good. I enjoyed the match. Uh, good back and forth. Um, I really didn't know who they were going to go with in this match. And, um the the finish was absolutely awesome. I mean, uh, you know, that, that step-up uh, curb stomp turned into the RKO was a really cool, really innovative finish. Um, I, I think that's cool, too, the way that um, it seems like Rollins is doing more of that now where he's 
he's not just jumping and, and stomping. He's doing somewhat of a, like a step up on the guy to get even more height. And he did an even over more over the top version of that in order to turn this into the RKO. And I thought it looked cool as fuck. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, Orton goes over. And uh, next up, you got Sting Triple H. Now this man, uh, this was um, the entrances are you know so so over the top, and uh, you know they start off and they got uh, you know uh, like live drumming going on for Sting and all this, and like a you know whole like a I guess Japanese band type thing going on to uh, place Sting in and everything. And uh, Sting comes out. Triple H's entrance, as always, is absolutely insane. Which, I mean, is definitely cool. I mean, it, it was a spectacle. And then I liked it. I really liked it. Um, I thought it was cool as shit. I was, you know, a Terminator 2 fan. My brother was an absolute fanatic of Terminator 2. Everything Terminator 2, he's all about it. Um that movie used to play in my house 12 hours a day at least um you know i'd wake up in the morning and my brother was already up in the summertime watching terminator 2 and uh you know before <laughs> before after dinner i mean it was terminator 2 on a continuous loop uh so yeah and you know obviously the movie franchise has gone downhill since but uh you know, they have the whole resurgence of it, supposedly, uh, the uh, Arnold movie, you know, Terminator with Arnold this year is supposed to come out, and uh, I don't know how it's going to be, but obviously a little cross-promotion they did there, and uh, gave Triple H the big uh, Terminator, and, and obviously over-the-top, gaudy, all of those things, but that's what it's supposed to be, and for what it was, it was fucking awesome, man. All those uh, Terminator endoskeletons rising from the fucking stage, and Triple H has all mechanical gear on, and he's he's got a uh, chains with the, uh, the the endoskeletons fucking heads on them, you know, skulls. Pretty cool shit, man. I thought it was awesome. Uh, supposedly, there's some kind of injury with Triple H. You can see the bruise on the back of his leg and everything, and, um, you know, it was uh, turned into, like, a no DQ, which they really were never that clear about. They they announced uh, this match can only end by pinfall or submission, but they never really said, like, hey, this is no DQ. So if you want to get technical, of course, you know, they laid that out by saying it can only be pinfall or submission, so it won't be a count now, it won't be a DQ, but they just kind of put it on, you know, kind of mild terms. So they did, the, you know, the whole bat sledgehammer thing. I thought the matches worked really well. Um, it told a great story and everything. I, I wasn't big on the interference. Um, I didn't like the whole NWO versus DX thing because, you know, like I've been saying, to turn this into a WCW versus WWE thing 15 fucking 20 years later, Come on, man. What is this shit? You know, it, it's really not about that. And, and DX, well, I mean, you had DX was a, a obvious huge stable back then, but the driving force of WWE was Stone Cold and The Rock. And, you know, WCW, I mean, even at that time, 
Goldberg was their big fucking guy. And, uh, you know, obviously the NWO had a big, big um, hold on things too, but even half of those fucking guys since then have worked WWE. And it's been, you know, kind of brushed under the rug that they were even WCW guys at this point. I mean, fucking Nash is going into WWE Hall of Fame the day before, so he comes out as a WCW guy. Like, hey, come on, man! This is—we're not going to reinvent the invasion. This is this is silly. So I, I thought it was silly, but like I said, the matches worked really well, you know. Despite that, and you know, they they did what they did with that stuff, and it was fine. Um, I was because I was like, man. The worst thing that could happen right now is they have fucking Nash and Hall do a swerve and and do the whole click thing and they fucking all jump sting. That would, like that was the last thing I wanted to see. So like I said, I wasn't really a big fan of the uh, the whole NWO versus DX thing, but I was overjoyed that they did not do that fucking jump him turn click thing. Um. So, you know, for that reason alone, I was fine with it ending the way it did. Um, I don't understand why Triple H had to go over. Hey, you know, what kind of boost is that? I mean, just to say that you beat Sting, I guess. But, I mean, if Sting goes in Hall of Fame next year, why not say that he came in and got a, you know, got a WrestleMania win? You know, why why not give him that? So, I don't know. I don't know what, uh, you know, what positive it does, you know, you on one hand, you got fucking Sting, um, you know, doing the thing there with uh, Triple H going over. And the next minute, you know, you got Ronda Rousey causing a fucking uh, Triple H run. And when did that happen? I'm trying to think if I'm uh, if I'm off here on, on when what happened. Because I think maybe the uh, the Rousey thing happened later. I think it might have. Um, so yeah, there was that, and, uh, let me see, yeah, Shawn Michaels interfered, everything, whatever, Triple H gets over, and then, um, let me see, then you had the Page and AJ Lee versus the Bellows, this was alright, you know, uh, I had no problem with it. I you know I I've been a somewhat of a supporter of the Bellas' work, so I, I can't I can't be one of these guys that shit on it. I um I thought it was all right. I thought that there was so much going on that this might have been somewhat of a low point, but I didn't consider it bad by any stretch. Um, Cena versus Rusev for the U.S. title. Thought this was really good. Um, and this was, uh, you know, obviously Cena went over. I still think this was a very, very big thing, you know, for Cena to go down to U.S. title. I saw this as a bigger move than I saw the... Uh... Hold on one second. Sorry, I had Reed hit me up. I'm trying to get him on, so... um. But, yeah, you know, I, I thought it was all right. And uh, Rusev, you know, losing this match to Cena at Mania, that's fine. I guess they're doing some kind of turn with, um, you know, him turning on Lana again. But, um, you know, it is what it is there. 
Let me see. Uh, give me one minute. Just trying to get this together with a uh, read. That's that, uh, you know, that one of the disadvantages of not doing like a co-host situation because you'd be like, hey, you talk while I go figure this out. Can't do it. So uh got to kind of pause, look at my phone, look back at the thing. So yeah, you should be calling in any minute. So I'll uh, yeah, I'll get back to the WrestleMania thing a little bit later. Um, like I said, overall it was a good fucking show, man. Um, great show with that. Let me see. I think I do have online right now, none other than Reed Bentley. What's going on, I have man? How's it going, man? I am good. I'm good. Still. How about yourself? <laughs> Doing good, man. So yeah, I wanted to have you on, talk some. Uh, some wrestling with you, and um, how did you uh, actually get started wrestling? Um, I started out in 2009. Uh, I graduated high school in 2009 and uh, took a scholarship to the University of Louisville uh, just because I knew there was a lot of wrestling and a lot of stuff out here, uh, even though I had no intentions of doing anything with OVW or anywhere like that, Um, but I knew that there was enough wrestling out here. Uh, that I could you get involved and get started, meet the right people. Hmm. And that's pretty much where it everything started off. I was actually uh, working in a Sam's Club uh, in my freshman year of college and met uh, a guy who, he did EPW's Hardcore Harvest Deathmatch Tournament last year, Wicked. Um, and he was kind of a guy who like, introduced me to some people, introduced me to... Uh, like Cage Cutler and a couple of random like little promotions in the area, and uh, I just kind of started hanging around and uh, paid a place called LCW $150 for three months of training, which was essentially access to a wrestling ring so I could uh, teach myself how to transition from bumping for Taekwondo and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and stuff that I had taken for many years to bumping for pro wrestling. So that was pretty much... Uh, my like somewhat of a a backdoor into the wrestling business until I you know met good people and started doing a lot of seminars and traveling and kind of just getting booked sure. anywhere I could and picking stuff up as I went. Sure. So I mean, but um, you know, early on, obviously you were a wrestling fan. Um, what made you want to actually get into wrestling? Like, what you know, what motivated you? Where or what did you see that said, "Man, I want to do that." Um, I, I don't know if I ever had that one, uh, like, watershed moment where I knew that wrestling was what I was going to do or wanted to do. Um, I just kind of have – I've always loved wrestling, always watched it with my cousin. Um, we were best friends. We were six months apart, so that was, you know, like my brother, basically. And that was just what mm-hmm. we always did. You know, we were, we were always into wrestling. We always – played with wrestling figures while we watched wrestling or we wrestled each other or we were on like shitty 56 K dial up internet, uh, reading Mm -hmm. like results for indie wrestling show. Like that's all we ever did. So it kind of just, I, I kind of compare myself to, uh, like people who like, everyone has wild dreams. Like, Oh, I'd I'd like to be a race car driver one day. Like, ah, but that'll never happen. Like, I've just, I never had that. Ah, that'll never happen. That's not practical. I never had that moment of, uh, that's not a practical way to live your life. So here I am, right. uh, newly 24, doing the, the pro wrestling thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you actually got into training, you know, um, 
was it what you expected or was it, you know, more or less or, you know, what was your feelings going um, in when you actually started training? It was, it was pretty much what I expected. Um, like I, like I said, I've done martial arts my entire life and, you know, martial mm-hmm. being, you know, the key word in that military like oriented. So, I mean, I was used to, even though I've always had like my own personal uh, like authority issues, you know, like I'm used to uh, somewhat semi constructive team sports, um, things like that. You know, like I'm used to the hard motivation and, um, not really having an easy path. Like training for me for martial arts wasn't easy by any means. You know, we weren't just like a, uh, like a black belt factory, as I call them. You know, you had to train, you had to, to earn your rank. So, uh, I was really used to already the, the training and the motivational tactics, which I feel like a lot of people these days aren't. That's why a lot of people um, complain, I think, about, like, attempting to get into wrestling. Like, they don't really see it as, uh, like, something they love or, like, a career. It's just kind of a hobby, so they get into it. And then the first day they get bumped around and they leave sore and, you know, they get the shit beat out of them. And uh, all of a sudden the person that did that to them, you know, is an asshole rather than just, kind of weeding out the weak and because uh, I mean it's survival of the fittest in wrestling you know you can't really be I personally at least maybe I have an old school mentality but I'm not Vern Gagne you know like I don't think if I can fit my hand around your wrist that you're not a real man and you shouldn't be in my business bucks and take uh you know take it harder in training than you're ever going to have it in the ring then you definitely don't need to be wrestling right so, yeah, I mean, there has been a lot of talk about, you know, bullying and this and that, and this one was treated badly, and this is, you know, a lot of, you know, what you're saying. Um, you know, what's your thoughts on that? Because you had, um, like you said, you had some, you know, authority issues and stuff, and, you know, you do have to somewhat be humbled in the wrestling business. Um, you know, what's your thoughts on that whole thing and, you know, coming into it? Um, for me, I don't know if it's so much a – a bullying issue in wrestling these days. Like I know there's been a lot of spotlighting somewhat on that with like the whole Bill DeMott thing. Um, right. I feel like Bill DeMott's just an asshole. Um, like he <laughs> is kind of a never really quite grab the brass ring type guy who uh, mm-hmm. is kind of comes off to me as really bitter about what he did do in wrestling, which is never like, I don't understand guys like that. Like it's like there's this, almost this, like, generation of, you know, former, like, late 90s or, you know, 90s, early 2000s wrestlers who are really angry and bitter about all the money they made and the steady work that they had for two decades uh, mm-hmm. because they should have done more. They should have done more. They should have went more places. They should have made more in their eyes rather than just being content with having, you know, a steady, like, money-making, putting food on their family's table for, you know, two decades-type career. Um, but as far as like the whole business, the industry goes period, you know, on an independent level, um, I don't think there is a bullying issue by any means. I think honestly, if anything, wrestling has kind of became too soft. I don't feel like enough places and enough people take it upon themselves to, uh, police their locker rooms or, you know, police amongst themselves, how people act, uh, in the business, because it's not for everybody it's not supposed to be for everybody you know it's it's a fraternity you know not just mm-hmm. anyone is supposed to be able to walk in and be a part of what we do uh and be good at it necessarily you know you're not just supposed to be welcomed with open arms and a, you know a tussle of the hair and a pat on the back and a you know good job boy you know like that's not what 
the wrestling industry is built on. You know, no other major, uh, like, worldwide sport is like that. You know, nobody uh, on the minor leagues or in the MLB, you know, like, patting baseball players on the ass and telling them, oh, that's all right, man, you'll get them next time. You know, that was really shitty, but, you know, let me give you all this money to keep doing what you do and do it poorly. You know, nobody wants – people expect results, and I feel like even on an independent level – uh, like what we do, it's you should have, you should take pride in what you do, and you should take pride in the business that you're a part of. If you love wrestling, you know, like so many people claim to love wrestling, and they would do anything for wrestling, um, but they don't really feel that way. It's just kind of like a hallmark uh, blanket mm. statement that they can say and, and make it seem like they care, uh, you know, more than everybody else does. Really, they don't, because if they did, they would. Uh, they would care more about the people that they let in their business. You know, I'm all for having friends. I have some really, really good friends in this business that uh, I wouldn't necessarily vouch for or go to bat for or claim to be good at what they do. You know, that doesn't make them not my friend, but, you know, I'm not going to cover for anyone. Sure. Um, So how long after you started training was it you had your first match, and where where did you wrestle at? Um, uh, my first match was February of 2010, if you want to call it a match. Um, it was for a place called Strictly Hardcore Wrestling, uh, which was a glorified, uh, it was a pole barn in southern Indiana, court in Indiana, um, in a guy's yard. Like, basically in his backyard, there was a pole barn with a wrestling ring built into the support beams of the pole barn. So two of the ring posts went floor to ceiling because they were support beams uh and the road was like hit i'm like i'm like 510 you know like i'm not you know short but i'm not tall somewhat average height and the ropes were Mm -hmm. like hitting me in the back of the head like this is a homemade (laughs) ring you know like it's put together with like carpet padding and drywall nails like it was extremely unsafe it was just like it was a you know disease waiting to happen um and i went in and wore like I wore like a black t shirt and chinos to wrestle in in my first match because I wasn't gonna wear my wrestling gear in that building. Uh I I had wrestling gear and boots and knee pads and the whole nine yards at custom gear and, and real wrestling boots and everything before I even started training. I'd had them for, you know, like six months at that point. Uh mm-hmm. but didn't want to use them in that building so I just wrestled in the like normal clothes. Sure. With the top rope hitting you in the back of the head, were people actually coming off the top rope in that ring? Uh, I mean, some of them were. Like, it, it was a barn, so, you know, they had clearance. But, I mean, it was mm-hmm. just – I don't even know what the ropes were made out of. It was like – it was as if they had just took, like, string and wrapped so much duct tape around it until it was thick and looked like a rope. You know, I don't know if it was, like, garden hose or what it was inside of it, but it was the most, like – it was up all the time, obviously. Like, it was, you couldn't take that thing down. It was built in this metallic space. There was nothing to be tightened on it, nothing to be adjusted. Like, it was just like a, like a WWE playset bed that people were <laughs> wrestling in pretty much. You know, like, there was no, no real mechanics to it. Wow. So, obviously, there was a immediate uh, want to move up and find somewhere else to work, uh, you know, how did you get from there to somewhere, you know, credible? Um, I would have to say most likely uh, Nick Manawa, my best friend Nick. Uh, I met him April 
of 2010, so I was two months into wrestling. Uh, he came to the first show for the company, LCW, that I had quote-unquote trained at. Um, they uh, had been running like backyard shows before I was around and got shut down by the athletic commission. They had to you know, go legit and get uh, a license and everything. So this was their first real show, like their first pro show. Um, and he came there because he knew Cage Cutler, who was wrestling on the show. Cutler is like an old-school IWA fan, used to come when he was a kid back in the like, Charlestown days, um, where Manawal was obviously at. Every time the door was, you know, the doors were open, he was there, either you know doing sound or running around doing something for the show. Um, and he hit me up on Facebook after my match that night, which was maybe, I think, my third or fourth match. Um, he hit me up on Facebook and pretty much like told me how terrible I was in a really nice way. He was like giving me constructive criticism, uh, like right off the bat. So, um, it was, uh, very easily a friendship that could have not happened. One of those situations where a lot of people would have said, Oh, fuck you. I don't know you. Who are you to give me, uh, critiques? Uh, I knew who he was like through the internet. Like I'd been on CZW fans as a kid and like all kinds of places. Like I knew Nick Manawa. So I trusted his opinion, and, like, I, w- I would take constructive criticism from pretty much anyone, uh, especially at that point in my career. You know, I would listen to anyone because I didn't know what I was doing. Like, just because I've watched wrestling my whole life, uh, that doesn't really translate into knowing how to wrestle. So um, right. you know, I kind of just on from there, and uh, he's obviously uh, Ian's brother-in-law. So uh, I did a tryout show two months later, June of 2010. Uh, it was the first time I met Ian. Uh, and absolutely stunk the place up. Like, when I went there, uh, Manawal actually told me, don't tell Ian uh, that you're my friend in case you do terrible. I don't want your name attached to me. Um, So, and he's, you know, he was rightfully so, because myself and Cage Cutler had such a bad match. It was just, it was so horrible. It was not even my 10th match probably in in four months. You know, there wasn't exactly a lot of places that were just... uh, you know, beating the doors down to want Reed Bentley to wrestle for him. So it was, uh, it was something, you know, it was, it was an absolute spectacle. We went out there after Bucky Collins and Jonathan Gresham had just like tore the house down as like the one real match on the card. So, I mean, it was, uh, Ian pretty much put me in that, like, uh, that worst position possible, you know, he had me on cleanup. I did not, uh, did not at all knock it out of the park. Yeah. Um, so, you know, how did you, uh, after that match, how did it, uh, you know, turn out as far as your communications with Ian and, you know, assuring him that it was going to get better from there? Um, it was, uh, I mean, he, he told me, you know, to keep coming around if I wanted to. And I, I did like a, one more show, I believe. Um, but it was, those are the Bellevue days. So those are, you know, dark days for IWA. Uh, mm-hmm terrible draws and, you know, just, uh, like going, like shutting down three or four times in that time period, you know, like in in that Bellevue era of of just not being able to support and and run shows off of, you know, the kind of crowds that were drawn in that area and in that building. Um, so it was, uh, I somewhat kept in touch with him though, just, you know, knowing him through wrestling, seeing him at, uh, if he like showed up to another show somewhere, um, and he told me to come back around. And uh, he wanted to, you know, see what I had uh, 2011 the next year. So I, I think my first show uh, back the year after was King of the Death 2011. I went in and was supposed to wrestle uh, Congo Kong, who was still Osiris at that point. Um, mm-hmm. 
and he had actually ended up, I think, double booking himself, not realizing it. So he wasn't able to make King. So I actually filled in in the tournament. There was a lot of like uh, no shows and cancellations and things like that. So I filled in uh, in the King of the Death tournament in 2011 against uh, Rory Mondo, and uh, did a, just like one, a first round match for uh, for that. So that was essentially my second IWA match. I think was King of the Death. Um, and then just throughout 2011, I kept going back to Bellevue shows. I was in um, some random, like, IWA seven-way fracases and different things like that. And then, again, uh, you know, the doors were shut again for a while until he came back down mm-hmm. to this area. So 2012, she started running shows with Mitch Ryder um, and, uh, like, ARA, American Wrestling Association in Corridon, uh, not in the pole barn in the actual building. And, uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, like, going to shows with him and uh, – doing some other stuff and like, training like at the XCW building, Mitch Ryder's building with them. And uh, Ian at that point was um, the first dude to really, really get hands on with me at that point, like a couple of years into the business and, and really polish up what I was doing and how I was doing. So uh, that's really kind of, I mean, I credit Ian really as my trainer. Before that I had a lot of guys help me out extensively and I did a lot of seminars. Like I trained with, cash flow very early in the beginning and got my basics. Um, I mm-hmm. worked with, uh, you know, Billy Rock a lot through the School of Rock. I did a lot of stuff with Billy, um, all kinds of different stuff. And seminars, you know, Nigel and Drake and um, American League Boxer and people like that, uh, Steve Carino, all kinds of, you know, seminars pretty much anywhere. I would go anywhere and try to get booked on any show that I saw had a seminar on it. Um, but as far as, like, actually – really getting down to the nitty-gritty of it and fixing, like, glaring mistakes in my work and, and stuff like that. Ian was the first guy to really to sit down and do that with me. So uh, I really right. credit him as, you know, my actual trainer. Now, going in, you know, so early in your career, too, to a King of the Deathmatch, legendary deathmatch tournament, um, what was your thoughts on that? And, I mean, was that something you were looking to get into or was just a spot, you know, looking for any spot and, you know, again, going into a deathmatch corner, what was your thoughts there? Uh, yeah, that was pretty much it, honestly. I was looking to – I was just – I was down to do whatever Ian needed me to do. You know, like I was the – I was kind of that guy who uh, – I've, I've always tried to, in wrestling, be pliable and be able to do anything necessary for the show. Um, like I like to be able to put into – be put into any spot and be able to do it and do it well. Um, so, I mean – I, I like death matches. I've always been a fan of death matches. I'm definitely, I was never a, a critic of them, but it wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. how I was looking to make my name initially. Um, and I don't really like to be pigeonholed. So I don't really consider myself a, you know, a, a death match wrestler or a technical wrestler, quote unquote, or, you know, anything. I like, I don't really care for labels like that. Like I said, I like mm-hmm. to do a little bit of it all. Like if anything, most people kind of call me a brawler. Old school is what I got for a long time because I didn't really know how to wrestle. So uh, everybody just kind of called me old school because I didn't really know what the fuck I was doing. Um, I feel like that's okay. a way attributed to people who don't quite know what they're doing. Um, so, I mean, if anything, like strong style is kind of where I, I feel like I fall these days, like American strong style. Um, right. But like, I, like I said, I like to be able to do it all. I'm a deathmatch wrestler, uh, a striker, you know, I can do, I try to do everything as far as wrestling goes. I don't like to be, I, I just want to be a good professional wrestler um, and not really worry about the, the labels or the connotations that come with it. 
What was the steps in the match going in with Rory? Uh, it was an ultra-violent TLC, so it was uh, like TLC in tubes, basically. Um, and I think that the finish was uh, – I, I took the assault driver off of a ladder uh, through a light tube table. So, I mean, it was uh, it was the real Monty. You know, I didn't go in and just have like a, you know, a tax or, you know, something quote-unquote easy. Um, you know, I tried to jump right into it. So, I mean, we did – light tubes and uh, a barbed wire and all kinds of stuff in that match. So, you know, I figured if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it to the max. Yeah. Were the, uh, were the tubes intimidating going in or? Uh, no, it wasn't so much intimidating as just worrisome for me because I still get nervous to this day in wrestling, but uh, not because I'm not because I think I can't do it, but it always comes from a place of, uh, being worried that uh, I'm going to not do well. Like, that's the only time that nerves ever come out for me because I just, I really love wrestling and I love what I do and I love a lot of people that I, you know, get to work with and a lot of places I work for. So for me, I don't really want to ever have a bad performance um, just because, you know, I, I don't want to hurt the show. Like, it's not really like a self involved thing. Like, oh, I don't think I can do this. I'm pretty mm-hmm. confident you. You know, anything that I put myself into, I'm confident I can do it. I just worry about, you know, X factors of what if this happens? Like, I just I just want to do well. So that was really, that was honestly kind of what held me back in the beginning of my career was not stepping out of the box as much as I could have or should have in my first couple of years in wrestling because um, mm-hmm. more of a fear of failure than anything. I just really didn't want to fuck up. Like, I, di- I didn't want to do bad. I didn't want to right. have bad matches, you know. Like, I wanted everything I did. You know, every word I said, every step I take, still to this day, I'm like that. Like, I'm my own worst critic. I'll watch matches back or I'll watch promos back and just tear it apart. I, I hate everything I do 99 times out of 100. It's very rare anything in wrestling that I step back and I'm really confident and I'm really proud of it. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like that's the best way to be. I feel like you have to be your own worst critic. Like I said, I, sure. I don't want reassuring pats on the back. And, yeah, you're doing good, man. Like, if something's wrong, like I want someone to tell me, and that's the kind of people I try to surround myself with too. People who are their own worst critics as well. Guys like the hooligans and uh, John Wayne Murdoch and, and dudes like this who share my my mentality of just like striving for perfection. Sure. Um, what's your thoughts on deathmatch wrestling as a whole? I know you, you know you said you're a fan of it, but there's obviously a lot of risks that come with deathmatches. From I mean, just the physical repercussions, and um, I mean, and then there's a lot of other stuff that surfaced over the more recent years with the blood diseases and stuff like that. Um, you know, what's your thoughts on on that whole thing? Uh, for me, um, I don't really feel any more of a, a risk necessarily from. Uh, deathmatch wrestling than I do any other kind of wrestling because like we saw the other day uh, when my dome was split wide open I wasn't doing a deathmatch you know I just got caught with a chair the wrong way you know just a a wild chair throw and it caught me the wrong way you know so anything can happen these days as far as like blood or what happens in a match Um, I think it boils down to feeling comfortable and trusting the person you work with Um, Mm -hmm. you know it's a brotherhood it's a fraternity and if I don't feel safe with you, whether it's because I think you have something, uh, you know, whether I think you have a disease or whether I think you're an unsafe worker or where I think, um, 
you know, any any reason like that. If I don't trust you, like, I'm not going to want to work with you. I'm going to go into my match guarded, at least. So, I mean, right. I don't usually ever do that. It's very rare that that happens for me. Like, it's very rare that I'm ever put in one of these positions where I have to wrestle someone that I just absolutely 100% despise, and I have to go out there and think that it's going to turn into a knockdown drag out, you know, uh, rigmarole, but uh, I don't really feel any kind of an unnecessary like uh, risk is, is comes with death matches because if I'm going to enter into a death match with someone, uh, it's with someone that I know and I trust at least on that level to not be coming in with anything that's going to get me sick or anything that they can spread to me. Um, anybody I, I wrestle against, I'm going to go into that match already knowing uh, you know, my mind's already clear. I'm just worried about the wrestling match. I'm not worried about any of the stuff that comes before or after it. I'm already content with that person enough to, to wrestle them. Right. Yeah, understandable. I know a lot of states, you know, uh, require the blood testing and stuff like that now, so it's a little bit safer, but um, are guys pretty straight up about that outside of the mandated testing? Um, I'm, You know, humans will be humans, like in or outside of wrestling. Um, I know there are guys out there who have, uh, you know, knowingly uh, worked with uh, with blood diseases and things like that and not told people. Uh, you know, I mean, it happened with Abdullah, of all people, for like a long time, you know, like a, a legend. Right. Like, you know, this, and, uh, so, you know, you can't really, I can't really pinpoint, you know, anything specific you know, as far as, like, why that happens or who it happens with necessarily. But, yeah, I mean, there are guys out there right now, I'm sure, um, you know, that are that are going and doing things they know they shouldn't do. And then, you know, you gradually see their names drop off of cards or you don't see them around as much anymore. So I feel like uh, morally people have an obligation to uh, to just come out and, and be honest, you know, because you, you've already put yourself, when that, when that does happen and it comes out, that, you know, you've, you've done something like that you're already in a position that you didn't want to be in and you know how traumatic it obviously is for you and how it's affecting you. So why would you want to put someone else through that? Why would you want to, why would you want to put that on anyone else, especially without their knowledge? You know, and if I go into a match knowing that I think so-and-so, you know, might have something, or I think so-and-so is gross. I've heard stories about this or that. If I go into that, then, you know, that's shame on me too. But when you just go in totally, you know, unwilling and, and don't realize uh, you know what's going on with your opponent. Like that's um, that's just really one of the most like disrespectful, worst things I feel like you could do to a person. You know, and it's illegal. <laughs> on top of that, you know, there's guys who catch yeah. you know murder murder charges and things for for stuff like that. It's happened before, so it's an unfortunate, uh, not a necessary evil, I guess, but it's an unfortunate circumstance. Right. Now, you know, going into the training and stuff, like you said, you took all these different seminars and stuff and obviously trying to really, you know, perfect your craft and, and learn from so many different people. Um, was there, like, a huge difference between the different training methods of these different guys, and how did you bring it all together? Um, I felt like I kind of had the luxury of training with um, a lot of guys who uh, – training with a lot of guys who were – kind of cut from the same cloth, being in, like, the Midwest mm-hmm. and in the Kentuckiana area. It's a lot of, like, IWA guys, for the for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
for lack, lack of a better term. And uh, it's uh, so it was really an easy transition to put everything together um, because it was a lot of guys who all came up the same way, who all believed in the same ideals, things like that. Um, so for me, I felt like once I finally got it, quote unquote, it was easy to put together. But the build up to that wasn't by any means because uh, I feel like everybody the first couple of years of wrestling has those uh, those matches and that period in their career where they think they're okay, like they know they're struggling, they know they're green, but they don't really know why they're green. Like they don't quite get wrestling, you know, or you know, for lack of a better term, they just don't know how to wrestle. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, but for me, I, like I said, I've I've always had the benefit of you know somewhat keeping my mouth shut and uh, my ears open and listening to uh, listening to the people around me and being fortunate to to meet so many great dudes in the business um, and and be able to learn from guys like Nigel. Like I, uh, I did a seminar with Nigel on his retirement tour and. Uh, you know, guys like Drake before they went to WWE and uh, just even the people I've had the, the pleasure of wrestling over the years. So, you know, yeah. I've really been honestly pretty blessed like as far as who I've had the uh, the chance to learn from. Yeah, and um, in 2012, too, you got to wrestle Davey Richards. And, you know, this is coming off of, you know, all your seminars and everything else. Um, was this your first, like, big, big match? Or, you know, how did you feel, you know, wrestling Davey Richards? Uh, wrestling Davey was really fun. At that point, that was um, a little over two years into, uh, sorry, excuse me. Keep having to clear my throat and trying to not cough into everyone's ear. Um, Ohio Ohio Valley weather has me destroyed right now. But um, wrestling Davey was was a pleasure. Um, I mean, it was during that period of... uh, like before he went to TNA and it was like that period of Davey where you didn't really know if he was going to be at the show or not. Uh, so like, <laughs> I mean, I know he's booked. He might not be here. Um, and like, I love Davey to death. Like he still comes in for, for IWA all the time. Um, mm-hmm. you know, awesome dude. But during that period, at least it was definitely one of those, uh, those like X factors with him, like being booked on like, um, like the show I wrestled him for, at least IWA, UIWA Unlimited, not affiliated with Mid-South. Um, like it was a small show, you know, it wasn't big. It wasn't like something necessarily important. So uh, I kind of had the, I had like a whole other like mindset of like, well, I might have to wrestle this guy instead. So let me be thinking about that. Like, what am I going to do if I wrestle this guy? But he showed up mm-hmm. and uh, we had fun, tore it up. He's a class act. Um, especially these days, like super professional, um, a joy to like have in a locker room, uh, and, you know, to just to listen to, to kind of pick his brain. He's, he's awesome these days. Um, but that was honest for me, at least like my personal, uh, personal preference. That was my second big match. My first big match, um, was me and Eric Cannon at the same place at IWN. Oh, okay. Um, because I grew up, um, I always kind of say I'm part of the first generation of indie wrestlers who grew up on indie wrestling. Um, mm-hmm. so for me, I was watching the CM Punks and the Chris Heroes and the Brian Danielsons and 
the Eric Cannons and, you know, uh, Jimmy Jacobs and Alex Shelley and all these guys and B.J. Whitmer, I was watching all of these guys when I was in middle school, um, you know, buying IWA tapes and buying Ring of Honor tapes. Uh, and now I'm in, you know, the wrestling business and I'm, you know, have the fortune of, like, working with these guys. So um, I didn't tell Cannon any of that. I told him after we wrestled, and uh, he was like, Man, I'm really glad you didn't tell me uh, that this match meant that much to you before we wrestled because I would have felt uh, like I was under way too much pressure to, to give you a better match. Uh, so right. he, was, he, was re- he was relieved that I didn't tell him that before we wrestled. Um, but Cannon's awesome, too. He was um, – every match like that, at least in my career, like from Eric Cannon to Davey um, – to working with, like, uh, Cabana in a random tag match that I did and working with Billy Rock and um, wrestling Jimmy at IWA and the, like, clusterfuck we had. Um, like, all those, each one of those, like, I, I picked something away from it. Like, each little thing, even if it was a chink in my armor and it was a really bad match, like mine and Jimmy's first match, I pulled. I was mm-hmm. able to pull something away from it um, yeah. and add it to my cool belt, you know, so... For me, it was I was a victim of not really having the the good fortune to wrestle um, guys better than me all the time. Like it was sporadic for me. It wasn't like I was working with Eric Cannon and Davey Richards and Jimmy Jacobs every single week or every single month. Even it might be two or three or four months in between uh, in between shows where I was like. I got to get in the ring with somebody that good. Usually it was right. guys who were, you know, quote-unquote 10-year vets of the Kentucky wrestling scene because they wrestled one town in front of their friends one Sunday a month for the last 10 years. You know, they had, they've had less matches in their career than I had in my first year in the business. Um, so mm-hmm. that, was, that was nine times out of ten what I got stuck with was guys like that who – didn't know even as well as I did, you know, guys who were either at my level or even below my level. And you, you never learn in a situation like that. Like you're not going to get any better uh, if you're not working people better than you. Like I'm a firm, firm believer in that. Um, and like Ian's a firm believer in that. That's why I always got opportunities. That's why anybody over the years who's ever got opportunities at IWA have got them because Ian believes, you know, in building new talent, building young stars and, um, he very much realizes that formula. You know, I'm, I'm never going to get better wrestling, you know, Farmer John and Bojangle from down the road. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to learn anything from them. I'm going to have to be in the ring with somebody who's been doing it, you know, five times as long as me and does it ten times better than I do. Right. Um, uh, you've wrestled a bunch of, you know, intergender matches, uh, Crazy Mary and a couple others. Um, a lot of, you know, the intergender stuff is getting a little heat these days because of the whole, um, you know, Chris Dickinson and um, Kimberly thing that, you know, went all viral. What's your thoughts on intergender wrestling and, um, you know, as far as, you know, treating women like equals and, you know, like actual wrestlers instead of divas? Um, I, it really depends on who I'm wrestling, but honestly, uh, I'm a big fan of intergender wrestling. For, for the most part, there was a period in time where I was doing a lot more of it than almost anybody else was, like working with uh, Crazy Mary and Heidi Loveless and people like this almost like on 
like a weekly, bi-monthly basis there for like a, a good six month to a year stretch. Like I was, especially myself and, and Heidi through um, like our early days in the School of Rock. Uh, it was me and mm-hmm. Trip, uh against her and Dale Patrick's. Like I couldn't tell you how many times we did that match um, or, you know, how many times I got to, to do stuff, mainly on Class Wars, which is like a, a web series thing that uh, – it got a lot of praise, like the first season that we did it with the School of Rock, uh, and the second season was filmed but was unfortunately scrapped. It, it never saw the light of day, uh, even though it was really, really, really good stuff. Um, but I'm, mm. I'm a fan of internet wrestling, it, just like anything else. Like I hate when uh, when people say like, "Oh, deathmatch wrestling isn't wrestling," or "intergender wrestling doesn't have a place." That's not wrestling. That's not real wrestling. Uh, because it definitely is. Wrestling is not any one thing. Wrestling is the most malleable, uh, formable thing that you can create. You know, like it is art in its purest form. You can take it and you can turn it into whatever you want. You can tell any story you want uh, if you stick to the basic core principles of it. So, kind of just like the like what I was saying with death matching. If I'm if I'm going to choose to get in the ring with someone. Um, I know they're competent, and I know they're my equal. I'm not going to uh, wrestle a girl just for the sake of, oh, it's a guy versus a girl. Um, Like, if I don't feel that someone is up to snuff, uh, it doesn't matter to me if they're a guy or a girl. I've obviously had the pleasure of working with Crazy Mary and Heidi a bunch, uh, especially who are, you know, two of, if not, in my opinion, for my money, the best two girls, like, in the American independent scene. Um, and I don't just say that biased, you know, I say that cause I, I truly do believe it. Um, I think there's nothing wrong with it. It's just like anything else that has to be done the right way. There's a certain way to do it. And there's a certain way to not do it. Um, just like death matching, you know, stabbing people in the arms of box cutters all willy nilly is not death matching. Um, right. psychology, but there's an art form to it. Um, so same with intergender wrestling. I'm not going to uh, just be thrown around by someone who is half my size in, you know, uh, in the real world or in wrestling. Uh, it doesn't matter to me what they have between their legs, you know. So, I mean, it's uh, it's what makes sense. It's, uh, it's just, you know, psychology at the end of the day, I really think is what most of it boils down to. Right. Sure. Um, you were um... – Pretty early in um, Chris Hero's release from the WWE, you were one of um, his early opponents. And obviously, you know, Chris Hero had to have been another one of those guys you were watching, you know, as a youth. So, um, you know, what was it like getting in there with Hero? Uh, Hero, for me, uh, was probably my biggest influence, biggest inspiration as far as independent wrestling goes. Um, It was him and, and Brian Danielson. Those are my two uh absolute top favorite guys on the independents. Um, you know, there was three dozen more that I could name with them. I hate picking definitives, but if I had to, if there's a gun to my head, uh it was by by far and away Brian Danielson and Chris Hero. So uh I actually was lucky enough before Hero uh was signed, I did about I want to say three different seminars with him. I did two normal seminars and I did some one-on-one training with him. Um, I have friends who live in Tampa. He was living in Tampa at the time, right before he got uh, signed. 
Um, and I was lucky enough to go down there and just kind of do some like one-on-one stuff with him at um, underground down there, Cuban Assassin's Fed. We got to kind of roll around and, and do some stuff for a few hours before the show. Um, so honestly, though, I always tell everybody when I tell this story, I learned way more uh, talking to Hero uh, on the rides to and from the seminars that I, I took with him because we ended up, uh, myself and Nick Manawan, his wife, Jess Beasley, we were uh, we mm-hmm. took Hero up to the School of Rock uh, and back when we did the first Hero seminar. So um, not to discredit anything he does in the ring, obviously, but he's just uh, a guy who has been doing it for so long and is such a wealth of knowledge. Like He has so many stories and so much wrestling knowledge in his head that it's almost impossible to not learn more just for me at least I'm a very you know I, I like to I like to orate and I like to listen to stories so uh I'm really big on on hearing it just as much as I am getting in the ring and doing it so just the, kind of the principles and uh, things the way he felt about wrestling was always something I really agreed with so just traveling with hero the, the few times that I was lucky enough to do it um was just as much of a, a help for me as a young wrestler and then it just so happened that um a few months before he was released i was the you know asshole heel at uh iwa who was coming out and uh using chris hero's music and uh claiming to be the new hero of iwa and trying to get people's goat that way because for us at least for iwa time where we were coming back to an area where we had a really rich history. We had a lot of roots in Southern Indiana, in Clarksville and Charlestown and places like that. So me, this guy that, you know, maybe half of the crowd knew from other local wrestling shows mixed with this half of fans who hadn't been to a show since the barn days in Charlestown, uh, me coming out as the asshole claiming to be the, you know, uh, you know, the next Chris hero or the improved version of Chris hero was, uh, was just, you know, an instant heat magnet for so many people at IWA. Um, and then it, you know, just so happened that a couple of months later, after I'd been doing that, uh, he was released. His first match in IWA was with Trick Davis, not myself. Um, and then it, it lined up for us to have a couple of matches. So uh, it all fit very well together, you know, it, that I was uh, kind of calling him out when he was, uh, still caged in in Florida, and then once the the gate was open, you know it was uh, the gloves were off, and we got to have a couple of two of my favorite matches. Uh, honestly, my my second match with Chris was is to this day my favorite match still that I've had. Um, I don't know if it's my best. I, I can't really put like a, a tag on it like that. I know a lot of people have favorites of mine or what they think might be my best match for different reasons. Uh, fans right. and wrestlers a lot, but for me at least, my absolute favorite was my second match, the knockout or tap out that I had with Chris. We just, uh, I mean, we beat the shit out of each other for you know like twenty, thirty minutes um, in front of a really good, really hot, really awesome crowd. Um, one of our, I think it was our first big show, uh, our first IWA show in Jammers. So when uh, we had switched buildings from the Colgate Gym to Jammers, so. Uh, it was a lot of people. The emotions are there. The story was there. Um, and I went out and I kicked a little ass and, you know, got my ass kicked a little bit more. And, and we had a, a lot of fun. You know, it was it was definitely a, 
a learning experience. And we're and we're tied now, so you know we still need a rubber match. I still need a third match with Hero in IWA here soon, so we can. Uh, it's been over a year at this point. It was a year in March, so we uh, we're about to do another bout at this point. I've kind of 180 in IWA as far as the way the people feel about me um, and where I'm at in the company compared to a year ago. So I would really, really like the chance to to get to step in the ring with Hero again. Yeah, yeah good stuff. Um, so then um, you got to wrestle Jeff Jarrett in IWA Mid-South, and uh, it, obviously there was a lot of you know controversy coming out of Jeff Jarrett's uh, appearance there and his actions and everything else. Um, you know, what was your thoughts on the whole night? Um, well, I beat Jeff Jarrett. That's, that's the main thing that I pull away from, uh, from a match that happened (laughs) just under a year ago. Um, I got a win over, uh, a guy who is fairly highly revered in the sport of wrestling. You know, like I beat Jeff Jarrett. I beat the King of the Mountain. I beat Slap. So, you know, uh, that's really what I take away from it. Um, the match itself was was really great. I thought we I thought we put on a, a hell of a performance for um, what a, an indie wrestler versus a guy who's at the point Jeff Jarrett was in his career. Um, I don't really know how to to word it per se, but his style versus my style, where I am, um, you know, very retro, very different. TV style of wrestling to indie wrestling, I thought we meshed great, and uh, it was one of my one of my favorite matches, honestly, that I had last year. Um, now backstage, what happened? Uh, you know, what anything else that transpired, I can't really speak on that necessarily. But as far as you know, the wrestling match goes, it was uh, you know it was top notch, and I beat Jeff Jarrett, so I'm always going to have a a W over uh, Double J. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's good you're able to, you know, find just the positives out of that because that's uh, that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah, I try to. It was uh, the uh, the the controversies and everything that went down. Uh, you know, as far as at the end of the show goes, like uh, it was unfortunate that everything kind of uh, transpired during uh, Drake Younger's like final moments in IWA. It was like mm-hmm. his last show. Um, but like a class act, he picked right back up, went right back into his big smiley face, PMA, baby face, Drake Younger promo. Um, yeah. Sent the people home happy, got to say goodbye to, you know, the crowd that he became Drake Younger in front of, the crowd that he cut his teeth, uh, he cut his teeth with, the crowd that he started out in, you know, coming to shows. He got to have that feel good, um, you know, it's not goodbye, see you later type moment with uh, everybody uh, at IWA, and that was what that was what was most important for me was that he Drake still got the moment that he definitely deserved. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, I mean, going into this injury, man, um, like you said, you got caught with a straight chair. Um, I mean, how did the whole thing go? You know, go down, and um, I mean, what was your feelings when it happened? Um, it was honestly a freak thing. I I don't even know, you know, a little over a week removed from it, how it happened necessarily, uh, because it looks and it felt like uh, any chair shot I've ever taken, which is not, you know, not 
pleasure by any means. You know, it's not fun to get hit in the head with a steel chair, but it did not feel or look on camera like it was, uh, like it should have done what it did to me. Um, the only thing I can tell from watching the video back uh, is that it looks like the chair uh, comes open a little bit in the swing. So it looks like maybe the seat fell forward somewhat mm-hmm. towards Mason as he was swinging it. And I think that happening caused the trajectory to be off. You know, the seat coming open, it's catching air different than it does when the seat's closed. Um, you know, it's kind mm-hmm. of a scientific chair shot, but that's the best way I can think of of describing it. The, the seat came open a little bit. That caused it to go uh, a little bit lower than it should have. And essentially the, the back of the, the bottom of the back of the chair, the lip is what hit me uh, and what split me the way it did, I think. Uh, and it didn't help that I have me and Mason uh, and Devin as well uh, of the hooligans had probably exchanged a couple of dozen headbutts maybe at that point. Like uh, it was a really, really rough, really intense match uh, back and forth between all four of us. So I'm thinking with the headbutts and stuff I'd done, uh, my head was already a little bit uh, tender and a little bit swollen. So when that lip instead of the seat caught me, it just caused my head to pop, you know, like a grape. Like it was it was already, you know, swollen and, and ready to bust. So once it got hit the way it did, it was just that perfect storm of factors to kind of split me wide open. But, uh, you know, I was okay. It, it happened um, as I was falling. I got, I got hit with a chair, and as I was falling towards the ground, I immediately knew like something was wrong because it was like someone was squeezing a ketchup bottle and blood was just pouring out of my head uh, faster than it had ever done before. So, I mean, I knew I was in the best of shapes, but I didn't quite know how bad it was uh, until I I, I fell down and kind of crawled my way up to my knees. And a longtime IWA fan, Taxi Cab James, was uh, sitting in the front row and jumped back like he's and he's a large man he doesn't move that quick uh without reason (laughs) he kind of jumped up out of his chair uh, and looked at me like oh and just kind of said oh man so uh, i knew i knew i just said to myself like oh i'm fucked if uh, if if james is uh is reacting this way then i'm i'm fucked um and ian and the security guy was like immediately on me uh, Mike, one of our security dudes, like took his shirt off and, and had it wrapped around my head. Ian's immediately yelling for ice, um, and he gets me to the back, uh, checks on me, um, and I'm asking him, you know, like, you know, how bad is it? Are you are you playing it up? Are you making this out to be worse than it is? You know, for the, for the people out there. Uh, and he's like, no, man, it, it's really bad. Uh, it, it, it's uh, it's really bad. I, I'm not I'm not overplaying it at all. Um, so I asked him, I said, how bad is it? Is it Mitch Page bad? Is it, you know, clock incident bad? And he said, yeah, pretty close, man. It's, it's, it's pretty close. You know, you got like a five inch gash all the way to the bone in your head. So it's definitely not good. And, uh, but like I said, you know, Ian took care of me, man. Like he's not a doctor, but he's been hurt a lot. So uh, he knows what he's doing. And, uh, that's honestly the, the biggest source of, uh, of annoyance that comes out of this situation is people who try to put down IWA, try to put down what we do, try to put Ian down um, out of this event. Like I'm a goddamn adult, you know, I'm a grown ass man. 
I choose to do what I do, plan for this to happen, but it's something that I know can happen at literally any moment when I'm wrestling. You never know mm-hmm. how you can get hurt or how you're going to get hurt until it happens. Um, and it, it's not anyone else's fault. You know, it's not anyone's fault, period. It's not Mason's fault. It's not my fault. It's definitely not Ian's. Uh, he didn't pull me aside in the back and say, hey, kid, uh, you know, the show's resting on your shoulders. I need to see bone. I got to see skull, you know, <laughs> people aren't going to go home happy. You know, it was he's not this like evil carny that people make him out to be. Like he's made a lot of bad right. decisions and he's paid restitution uh, for, you know, pretty much every one of them. I think at this point, as far as karma goes, um, he's the first one to tell you anything he's ever done wrong before. So it's, uh, I just hate that that's what it pulls out of it. It's just another, it's like an internet sport, you know, it's, uh, it's, a fun mm-hmm. game to play. He's he's just a punchline at this point um, for right. most people. So uh, it's it's unfortunate that it is that way. But I, I mean, I go to I'll go to my grave defending Ian. He's never done anything wrong to me ever. He's one of my best friends. He's like a dad to me, my trainer, mentor, like the guy who I owe the most credit to in the wrestling business, without a doubt. Um, so I, I hate that that's what people get out of it. You know, what is IWA doing for? for Reed Bentley, what's Ian doing? You know, is he going to take care of him? Like, what's he going to give him? What kind of, you know, money is he going to be out from not being able to work or not being able to wrestle or do this or do that? Um, and Ian more than more than takes care of me. Like, I, I eat dinner with the guy four to five times a week. I've never paid for a meal in my life around Ian, ever. Um, and there's right. 200 other people, 300 other people, a ton of them that could, could tell you the same thing. He's a super generous guy. Um, and I, I hate that that's what people pulled out of this. There's no, uh, there's no real critique other than, oh, it's it's Ian's fault. It's IWA. It's American garbage, white trash, fat redneck wrestling. Uh, it's just a garbage sport. You know, these guys are just gonna end up killing each other. They don't know what they're doing. Um, it's incredible. Of all people, uh, commented on something in some group and called me and the hooligans untrained. Uh, and unsafe or something like that, you know, uh, and I hate that that's the mentality that people have about it, but if you get hurt, you don't know what you're doing uh, because right. the best the best can get hurt. The best can get fucked up. Um, anybody can get hurt. Anybody, you know, can be a victim of fate in the wrestling business. It is not, whether or not you get injured or whether or not something goes wrong is not an indicator of, how good you are at what you do usually. Sometimes it plays a factor. But nine times out of ten, 99 times out of 100, uh, just because you get hurt or something goes wrong, it does not mean that you don't know what you're doing. You can take every precaution in the world and still get fucked up in this business. Sure. Uh, I mean, when you go to the hospital or something like that, what a, like what do you tell them? Um, I mean, I just told them that I... Uh, you know, I, I hit my head. Uh, you know, I, I try and give them the most simplified version of it. There's way too much explanation usually that goes down with uh, mm-hmm. with wrestling and trying to – because when you say wrestling, they're going to say, oh, like like UFC, like MMA. No, wrestling like wrestling, wrestling like pro wrestling, you know, like Stone Cold, but not really. Like what you see on TV, <laughs> but, uh, you know, but not what you see on TV. It's it's right. a whole rigmarole of, of, of trying to explain to people, like, what you're talking about, how it happened, the mechanics of it all. So it's a lot easier to just uh, 
just say, hey, this is, you know, my head's cut open. Will you stitch it back together? Here's my insurance card. Um, you know, don't ask questions. Just stitch me up and send me home. You know, I don't need to be admitted. They gave me a CT scan. I didn't have any, no concussion. I never passed out. I walked out of the building on my own, walked out with adrenaline still pumping and didn't feel a thing, you know, even when I was sitting at the hospital. Um you know, I walked out of my, my own free will, my own power, and, you know, didn't have a headache, didn't throw up, didn't pass out, no concussion, nothing. Uh, nothing showed up on a CT scan, anything. It was just the way the chair caught me, you know. It just gave me a, a really nasty cut, no brain damage, nothing extensive other than, the, I mean, I just got a free facelift pretty much. I have a lot of anger lines in my forehead for a, a young guy. <laughs> So uh, they got rid of a couple of my anger creases when they gave me this free facelift and a couple of black eyes. But, you know, it is uh, it is what it is. Uh, do you have any, like, uh, you know, family or friends that had to react to this that weren't necessarily, like, in tune with the, the wrestling world as much? Um, a lot of my extended family who know that I wrestle but don't really know a lot about it or don't really hear from me a lot necessarily saw it through Facebook. Um, as I was leaving the building, that's literally what I said. I was walking out to the car holding a T-shirt on my head and holding, like, ice on my neck to try and, like, slow my carotid down, you know, from pumping blood to my to my wound. Hmm. Um, I'm like, I'm all, I'm all right, guys. Like, John Wayne's going to drive me to the hospital. Uh, it's cool because there's fans outside worried and crying and stuff. I was like, please, just right. don't post anything on Facebook. Don't tell my fucking mom, <laughs> like, please. Like, that's the only thing I wanted was – my mom could not find out until the deed was done. I wanted to be stitched up. I wanted to be sitting at my house the next day, uh, good to go, before I bothered my mom with it because, you know, I, I knew she was going to freak out. So she would have came down and came to the hospital, you know, had I told her when it happened. So I was trying to wait for everything to be done before I, I had to deal with breaking it to her. Yeah. That's that's uh, well above your hairline, right? So I mean, you got to come up with some uh... – Pretty interesting hairstyles when it comes back uh, Well, it's actually, I have a really big southern forehead, man. I have a five head, uh, uh, <laughs> like, uh, and a receding hairline. So it's actually like the top of the top point of the scar, like the top of the curve, is right at my hairline, actually. Uh, uh, and then the, the two the two ends of it curve down into my forehead a little bit. Uh, but the guy who took care of me and stitched me up was uh, he was awesome he took real good care of me really clean stitches uh sealed it up real tight um so it's not going to be too terrible scar it's going to be just cool enough to have a story about but not bad enough right. to like disfigure me and get rid of my boyish good looks so I- i'll be all right <laughs> yeah i mean i'm glad you're all right coming out of that man because uh that was yeah. by far one of the most gruesome injuries i've seen pictures of it's like holy shit I mean, if yeah, someone yeah. just posted a picture and said this guy was killed with a hatchet last night, you'd be like, well, that's, that's about the scar relief. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, it, my head went viral. Like, you know, like it was on Deadspin and Up Rocks and, uh, like, all kinds of, like, morning radio shows across the country and all kinds of stuff. You know, like, I did a couple of interviews. Like, I talked to Daniel Matheson, who, uh, like, reports for Up Rocks and covers a lot of wrestling stuff for them. Um, a couple of different people, and it was, it was fun, you know. Like it was, uh, it was a little bit of uh, like unwanted or unasked for press necessarily, but you know, it was a, 
it was there, so it was fun to, after I was okay and knew I was going to be okay, it was fun to relay the story and let people know what happened, and I got some good jokes out of it, and, uh, you know, I, I got a new moniker, you know, I'm Franken Bentley now, I'm not read by God Bentley anymore, I'm, I'm Franken Bentley, so I got a, <laughs> got a new nickname and a new uh, t-shirt, a couple of t-shirts out of it, actually, so, you know, it is what it is, you got to roll with the punches and make the most of it in wrestling, I can't ignore it, fact like it didn't happen, I got to just, uh, take it and, and milk it for what it's worth. Nice. How long does this keep you out of action? Um, I've got another week um, until I get my uh, – or actually, what is it, Wednesday? It's been uh, – it's essentially been a week. So, yeah, i got like another week until I uh, am going to get my stitches out, 10 to 14 days of stitches in my head. Um, and then after that, I'll probably give it a couple of days. I'll probably try and be back in action the – like second week of April, so not this coming weekend. Uh, but I've got a couple of shows in Chicago for freelance and underground wrestling uh, next weekend. I've already talked to both guys, and they're both, you know, more than happy to still have me in, uh, even if I'm just, you know, with John Wayne and not actually competing. They said, you know, they don't want me to, to rush it back. But it's really just aesthetic more than anything. As long as my cut is good and sealed. Um, and if my stitches are out, um, I should be all right because, you know, no, like I said, no brain damage, no headaches, no nothing like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Don't got to worry about taking a blow. I just don't want to blow my stitches open uh, and have a gross right. scar. So taking at least this week uh, off from, uh, from, from wrestling. So miss a couple of shows. IWA this Thursday, Coliseum on Saturday. So I'll, I'll miss two shows. Uh, hopefully no more than that. I'm hoping I don't have to, to miss the next weekend after that. So just don't want to make it any worse of a scar than it's got to be. So how leery are you going to be about the next chair shot you take? Uh, I mean, I mean, I'm not going to try and walk into one anytime soon, but you know, if it happens, <laughs> right. man, it happens. <laughs> I'm, uh, it definitely won't make me more skittish or anything. I, uh, right. it is what it is. You know, if you, uh, hurt yourself coming off the top rope, you know, you don't want to sound like you can just not come off the top rope for the rest of your career. So, you know, you right. gotta just uh, you gotta just face it face it head on, man. You know, look at a guy like Matt Seidel who was out for so long with the, you know, almost career ending, like disgusting ankle leg injury that he had and he's still, you know, one of the best high flyers in the world. He took the proper time and rehabbed, he came back and he's he's still doing his thing, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, well, imagine how much uh, heat that chair shot's going to get. That first chair shot back, man, it's going to get such a reaction. <laughs> yeah. Especially, yeah, if it's an IWA, man, that's that's one place where people truly love me. You know, like the fans really care about me and they care about them. Everywhere else, I'm, you know, kind of a, kind of a dick. But uh, if it happens at IWA, man, people are going to be, uh, they're not going to be happy with whoever is the guy dealing it out. Yeah, so I don't want to tell you how to do your job, but you tease that chair shot for two shows. It's going to get the reaction of a lifetime. <laughs> right, right. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not going to try and walk into one anytime soon, I hope. Right. Um, so, I mean, what are you looking for in the future? You know, dream matches? You know, where are you looking to go? Or... Um, I, I'm always really terrible about being put on the spot with, like, people I would like to wrestle or, like, dream okay. matches or anything like that. Um, but as far as wrestling goes, like, I just want to, I always just want to keep getting better. I want to go more places and I want to get better at what I do. And 
I want to experience new stuff, and I'm just, you know, making memories at this point. I'm just kind of living life to the fullest and trying to trying to have some stories to tell when I'm older. You know, that's, uh, sure. that's pretty much where I'm at as far as guy, specific guys go. Uh, Tommy End is like a guy I would really love the chance to work with um, at some point when he's over here from Europe. I know he's over here right now, so obviously mm-hmm. I'm out of commission right now. Like, that can't happen. But somewhere down the line, I'd really like to, to mix it up with him. Um, Ricochet is another guy uh, I almost got to wrestle uh, a couple of years ago for Chaos Pro Wrestling. Um, the match was booked. It was going to happen. Uh, and then he had to fly out to Evolve like a day early. Something got changed with his flight. So uh, we weren't able to do it then. But, you know, Ricochet is another guy that I've known like very like since very early on in my career. I, I re- got lucky not just wrestling for IWA, but for IPW Insanity Pro Wrestling in Indianapolis, um, where mm-hmm. I got to meet a lot of guys like him and Moxley um, and dudes like that very, very early on in my career and got to be on, uh, you know, the pre-show matches there and uh, kind of get instruction uh, and get match help from, from dudes like that. So uh, Sammy Callahan, all, all those guys back in, you know, 2011 who were working for uh, for Insanity Pro. So uh, I'd really like to to get that chance finally to mix it up with Ricochet because I've known him for so long and never got to um, any any of my friends. Like I can't wait to wrestle the hooligans again um, mm-hmm. and get to have match number three. You know, with me and Murdoch versus them. Um, all all kinds of people, man. Like I just I want to wrestle everybody and do everything. I'm uh, I'm down for for whatever wherever wrestling takes me. Uh, I think you did, like, a seminar or something with uh, DJ, right? Has there been any talk of you coming into CZW? Um, no, no, never any real communication uh, with DJ about CZW. Um, but like I said, I mean, I'm, I wrestle anywhere, man. Like, anybody that wants me to wrestle for them, I'll wrestle for them. Um, I don't have any, like, direct personal issues with anyone, you know, as far as, like, wrestling promoters go. Um you know, CZW or anywhere. Uh, there's a lot of people in wrestling. Uh, you know, I try and always use the metaphor. There's a lot of people I don't like, um, you know, but that goes for the real world too. There's a lot of people I don't like, but I got to deal with them on a daily basis. So, you know, I got to work with them, work for them uh, all across right. the wrestling business. So, um, I, but I, I mean, like I said, I'll go anywhere, man. I'll, I'll wrestle anywhere. Cool, cool. Um, so, I mean, what do you got coming up? I know you're out of the ring for a little while, but, you know, you're uh, tight-knit with IWA Mid-South, and they're doing their Thursday shows. I had heard something about the venue and, and whatnot. What, what's the rundown on that? Um, we had a couple of mix-ups this week. Uh, there was uh, an issue with, uh, like, an entertainment permit that the building mm-hmm. had. Um, they didn't have the proper permit. I guess it's a, it's a roller ring. They didn't have the proper permit to be um, – having a wrestling event, like a live event in there. Um, So we moved it to another building. That building encountered the same issue. Um, We actually got it sorted out for them. You know, we got the proper permits um, and got everything fixed and got everything back and got in order and in code everything that we need to. And then the building has 30 days to fix a couple of little uh, minor issues that they got cited for just, you know, for good measure if all the people were there, Um, you know, wrong color duct tapes and things like that, you know. So uh, right. we're all good. We got everything sorted out, and we're back at Jammers now. It was just like a city uh, ordinance zoning 
permit bureaucracy red tape type thing. So we got all that sorted uh, okay. out. And we are we're good to go for tomorrow uh, at Jammers. All right, cool. Um, is there anything else you want to put out there? Anything? Um, I just uh, all my usual plugs. Man, anybody who's listening, you can follow me on on all the social medias at the Reed Bentley, the Reed Bentley, however you like to say it. Um, that's Instagram, Twitter, uh, Snapchat, Tumblr, uh, Facebook, like page, YouTube channel, uh, everything. I've got all the all the social medias. Uh, my pro wrestling tees store uh, is prowrestlingtees.com slash Reed Bentley. That's the only thing I have that doesn't have a V or a the in the beginning of it. So uh, uh, you can go buy a T-shirt, support me. Like I said, i got a couple of Frank and Bentley designs up just to help out with some cash flow since I'll be missing out on a few shows and stuff, um, you know, a little supplemental income, uh, and a couple of old classic Reed Bentley designs are on there. Uh, or come to a show, buy a shirt there, come support independent wrestling, support me, follow me on the Internet, interact with me, talk to me. I'm, I like to uh, – I have a lot of uh, – a lot, not necessarily free time, but I have a lot of time during the day where I should be doing other things, uh, but I'm instead mm. playing on my phone or on the Internet. So by all means, I encourage people to uh, interact with me and, and get at me and talk to me. I'm a, Despite my reputation, I'm a friendly guy usually. <laughs> all right. Yeah, man. Um, well, thanks for coming on, man. I uh, loved having you on. It was great, and I'd definitely love to have you back on in the future. For sure, man. Anytime it lines up, just let me know. I appreciate you having me on. I hope everything goes swell for you. Yeah, man. No worries. And um, if if not any sooner, I'll be out at King of the Death match. So I'm uh, going to be making a truck out there from Jersey. So I get to meet you then. Fantastic, man. I look forward to it. Have a good one. All right, man. Have a good night. All right. So there you go. That was Reed Bentley, man. And, uh, you know, good times. Definitely wanted to have him on, chat about some stuff. And, um, you know, great dude. So, um, man, if, if anyone hasn't seen that injury, man, just Google that shit. And that is one of the nastiest fucking scars ever. But, I mean, that is that is one tough dude and a guy who really gets it about wrestling. And, uh, you know, he knows what it is to, uh, you know, to pay your dues and to really um, – be in it for the cause, you know what I mean? A lot of people hop in and hop out. They expect, you know, big things right away. And, uh, you know, like you're saying, a lot of complainers. And, and uh, yeah, man, this guy's in it for real. And, um, you know, his his work shows. So, um, but, yeah, go check him out. Check out his Pro Wrestling T-shirts, uh, all of that thing he just plugged. And uh, let me take a break, come back. I'll finish WrestleMania. i got a bunch of other things to talk about, too. All right, check it out. I'm sorry for the fucking wait. Was busy racing Ferraris with a Regine. That's gangster. You know I always come in second place. You hating? It's written all over your fucking bitch. You jealous? I was right, yeah, yeah. bitch, you jealous, stunt on you, stunt, stunt, shit, nigga, don't like, 
Thomas like a taco Lil Wayne tougher than John Wayne Make him change his name to John Doe It's me and my little brother Capo Lil Marley G in my bottom, bitch If I'm falling, it's bottomless If I'm tripping, it's a power trip Her pearl tongue like the pearly gates And with that said, I climb the fence My other bitches gotta ride the bench And with that said, bitch, you jealous I'm fly like my dreadlocks propellers I think I should hit like Coachella my woman a queen like Coretta And nigga, you sleep with the devil I couldn't be junior forever I don't mean to ruffle your feathers But I had to spread my wings Ain't tryna kill him and pepper Got too many pistols, too many issues Too many mistakes, too many miscues Only made me better, it turned me into The man I am today, I'm new and I'm improved I got my shit right, it's just you and the tissue Suit yourself because this suit is a rental Now the snow is just coming in Like I broke a window to an igloo Slow a bitch down like um momento I'd rather get screwed than scrutinized I'd rather get used by cutie pie If she ain't fucking this Uber time I'd rather be advised than supervised You do the math, we do the numbers We pour champagne Pain and expensive wine and water guns and shoot each other. Uh, I get high, meditate like a monk. Preposterous when I get drunk. And my goons is wilder than grunk. My dudes is as bad as my dumps. Met a kind of cute bitch with a dunk. As long as the bitch got a dunk. And I smell like pussy, money, and weed. She say, Ooh, I like your cologne. Yeah. The last niggas tested us plump, so please start it hard, start it long. Kill your wife to take the bitch phone and text you to please have it home. In the rain, I turn in the blood, look like you just come in from a storm. And if all pussies come with walls, I hope you run into your own, nigga. I come with that heroin flow, I come with that never before. My CMB days are dead, I ain't worried about ghosts. I married the mob, we divorced. And all that shit dead without me, of course. It's nothing a zombie or corpse. You burnt yourself and was supposed to pass me the torch. Fuck it, I see you in Forbes, nigga. Sorry for the fucking way. Busy searching my calendar for better days. I found them. You either turn the page or tell the page. YM, young money never age. Bitch, you jealous. Woo. I was right. Yeah. Tell the fuck, nigga. Bitch, you jealous. Stunt on the stunt, stunt shit, nigga. Don't like. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry for the way to apologetic. Hey, uh. bitch, you jealous. I give us our cash, our credit. Hey, pop. Wait. All right, I'm back. Now, let me finish off this WrestleMania thing. Um, next up, after John Cena won the uh, U.S. Championship. Uh, Stephanie came out, and, you know, that was the whole segment there. Uh, she started saying, yeah, everything, the authority runs things, blah, 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 blah. She owns the fans, they own the fans, blah, blah, blah. Um, the Rock's music hits, she comes out. Um, you know, The Rock cuts his basic, you know, it's me, it's the people, it's, you know, the whole, you know, The Rock stick. Uh, she starts shitting on him and this and this. And, um, you know, she's just going off on him. And I just had this just tremendous feeling. really wanted him to um, just just recreate the Chris Dickinson situation, hit her with a chair, and Pazuzu bomb her into the turnbuckle. I know Kimberly did not hit the turnbuckle, but I wanted Stephanie McMahon to hit the turnbuckle. So I guess she did her job as far as the heel goes because I, I wanted to see her fly through the air. Um, but of course that didn't happen. This is the WWE. Um, 
Ronda Rousey was over there at ringside. So, um, yeah, he walked out. He walked over there and stopped and paused and then brought her back in the ring. And she eventually threw everybody around. Triple H, Stephanie, you know, she yoked her up and everything. So, um, this and that. I think um, there's definitely a tremendous uh, opening between WWE and UFC as far as their relationship goes. They've shied away from it in the past. Dana has um, put out statements saying, you know, like some pretty negative things about the WWE, and they've they've really stayed a clear um, distance. And I honestly think they made a very uh, non-public uh, agreement somewhere along the lines. If you watch too earlier in the night, they had some kind of commercial for some some form of WWE tap out gear. Um, so I thought, you know, you put those two things together, and I thought that was a very very clear um, message sent that hey, you know, we're on good terms, and um, you know, so I mean that that's good to see. I mean, Ronda is absolute money, so. They work her into some, you know, little angle or something like that. It, it couldn't hurt. Uh, the next up was The Undertaker versus Bray Wyatt. And um, Bray Wyatt, man, um, you know, I had heard that this dude had some kind of ankle injury. It was some rumor that was going around, this and that. And I don't know. I saw no signs of that. If he was injured, uh, he, I saw no signs of that. As far as The Undertaker goes, this guy looked a million times better than he did the year prior against Brock. The year prior against Brock, man, he looked bad. He was gassed. Every every move he took, the amount of winded he was in between every move, it was really, really bad. It was, like, sad to watch. Like, you watch it, and you're like, end already. And could he stop wrestling? Like, you did not want to see another Undertaker match after last year's Mania. Not only did he lose to Brock, and that was, you know, shocking that the streak ended, but the match itself just just didn't look like he had it anymore. It really didn't. He had to drag himself through the match. Him picking himself up off the mat was, was painful last year. Um, and probably more so for him than it was for us watching it, but um, he just was not in the right shape for this shit last year. And this year, man, he was in great fucking shape. He was in great shape, and... He did a lot more running than I, I even think he needed to. And and maybe it was some kind of a, you know, hey, hey, look at this. You know, everybody has got something to say. Look at me go. You know, he did a lot of hitting the ropes real quick. And, you know, and I feel like he was trying to prove something. And to me, he did. Um, he went out there. He put on a great match for Bray Wyatt. Great. And, um you know, this at this rate, you could definitely see him doing another one or two or three or whatever it is. But he's got a whole year to, to get himself in shape, and this is the shape he comes out in. Then Undertaker could still go, you know. Last year's Undertaker, not so much. But um, it was refreshing to see him in such good shape and, and able to put on that type of match. Some people, you know, painting the picture that Bray Wyatt should have went over in this match is insane. Absolutely insane. I mean, The Undertaker was undefeated in Mania. That doesn't mean because he lost one in Mania, now he should lose all the rest of the matches. I mean, come on, man. I I think that Brock Lesnar match is the only match he should ever lose in Mania. I mean, if he goes on another five Manias, 
I mean, I can't imagine. But if he goes on another five, I don't think he should lose a single one of them. I really don't. And if anything, he should have to – he should wrestle Brock his last one. If he's still got it five manias down the road, he should wrestle Brock one more time and he should beat Brock. Um you know what I mean? Like do do something and it and it's in a certain aspect it's calling it a fluke, in a certain aspect it's calling Brock on top of his game at the time where he caught the Undertaker off. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a loss. It is what it is, but um I don't think it's diminishing that loss. I don't think it's um but I don't think it should open the floodgates. And now the Undertaker's gonna have a defeated streak. You know? What the fuck? You know what I mean? I don't I don't see that as the way it should go at all. And I don't think it's about putting anybody over or anything like that. Um, you know, it's the Undertaker, man. His legacy fucking speaks for itself. No one would have batted an eye if he never lost a WrestleMania match. So now that he lost one, people are getting all fucking weird about him not losing more. And uh, I think that's strange. It's very strange. Um, so, yeah, good match. And um, I'm all for it. Um what else? What else? Oh, uh, then obviously the main event. And Brock Lesnar is an absolute fucking beast right now. The run he's going on to, um, him re-signing with the WWE and being able to go into this this now future WWE. Uh, I think he's got a three-year contract now. I mean, that, you know, as part of his run. Man, if he fucking left after Mania... I think it would have looked terrible for him to be the guy to break the streak. If he left and didn't come back, that would have been terrible for him to have, you know, broken the streak and just kind of stop by for a cup of coffee, five, six matches, if that, and then just fucking bounced out with the Undertaker streak under his belt. You know what I mean? To have it now and continue to go on in the future and be here for a couple more years, it just helps solidify his reign and his um, Brock Lesnar's legacy in the long run because Brock Lesnar is an absolute um, – that dude is a character that, that will go on the level easily with your Rocks and your Stone Colds and your, you know, your Triple H's and your Undertaker's and, and those guys that are irreplaceable figures in the WWE history. You know, they're they're going to be guys that completely change the show just by them being on it. That guy being on the headline of the show absolutely dictates the attendance and everything else. That guy's an absolute draw. Um, you can build an entire show about around what Brock Lesnar is doing. And he's just a huge asset to the company. And, and you know, the wrestling business overall because he is one of those guys and he's still young enough to make a huge, huge impact on, you know, on TV wrestling where, you know, the guys, the undertakers, the, the rocks, the stone colds, the, um, triple H. I mean, these guys, you know, they, they might have a few more matches here and there, depending on which one of them you're talking about. Um, but they're still on their way out. And as far as big, big name fucking marquee guys, there's not that many more of them. Um, there's guys that are, you know, becoming somewhat of marquee guys, but Brock Lesnar is a guy who's already been established and continues to build his legacy. So um, I'm really happy he's re-signed. I'm happy with everything they're doing with him, really, because he's, he's just 
he's the most believable guy in all of wrestling as far as I'm concerned. Um, Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. This was fucking brutal. They kicked the living shit out of each other. This gained respect for Roman Reigns, which is the best thing they could have done with this match is had Roman not win it. And I'm really, really happy that they did that because I don't think him winning it would have helped him. I really don't. The fans did not want that no matter what he went through in that match. He was not a face. They were not willing to turn him heel. You know, I mean, he, he's a face technically, but the, he's not over as a face with the fans. They're not willing to turn him heel. You can't give him the fucking belt unless you're going to turn him heel. Because the fans are ridiculously booing the champion who's supposed to be a... I know it's happened with Cena and this and that. Cena's a different story. Um, you just couldn't go down that road. Him going in there and taking the abuse and dishing the abuse, every mark he put on Lesnar's face, you're sitting there at home going, this fucking guy's going to die. Brock Lesnar is getting angrier and angrier, and you can see it where, like, he is not taking this shit well, and he's stiffing shit out of Roman Reigns. And and Brock Lesnar is bleeding from his face. Uh, when was the last time you saw Brock Lesnar with a banged-up-looking face from his opponent? I mean, this was as intense as it gets WrestleMania main events. Um, and to cap it off with... Um, Seth Rollins running in there and stealing the fucking, uh, you know, essentially stealing the title with the money in the bank. Absolute ballsy move by the WWE um, to put it on on uh, Seth Rollins. I, I think it's absolutely great. I do think that they need to, somewhere along the line, they need to turn Seth Rollins' face because he's just, He's he's definitely one of those guys. He's good enough, and um, I think his offense and, and, you know, his athleticism and everything puts him out there as a guy that the fans want to jump behind. Um, Obviously, the chicken shit heel stuff he's doing now isn't going to be easy for them to just turn him face. But I think, you know, as a gradual, by the end of six months, um, maybe even – like a SummerSlam turn where he really starts to turn babyface by then. Um, you know, but I think absolutely by next Mania, that guy is a full-blown face. Um, you know, a year from now, he's going to be a full-blown face that's super overselling the shit out of T-shirts. Um, speaking of T-shirts, I'll be goddamned if Roman Reigns' T-shirt didn't look like the fucking Spider-Man logo. I, I looked at it and was like, how the fuck is uh, Marvel Comics not suing the WWE for the uh, Roman Reigns logo. Uh, But, you know, someone brought up a good point that um, they actually use their guys here and there on on the Marvel side of things as far as promoting and I think, you know, a little bit of comic influence too. So uh, it could very well be a handshake agreement. You know, like, yeah, don't worry about it. Change this, change that. Yeah, that's close enough. No problem. Because um, there's no way that that doesn't look like the fucking Spider-Man logo. You know, obviously, minus a few legs or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, anyway, um, great match. Absolutely great match. One of the best main events in WrestleMania history, I think. Um, Seth Rollins winning it was awesome. And, uh, you know, they went on the next night to another one of those awesome after-Mania Raws. And, um, you know, Seth Rollins doing the thing, 
telling him he's not uh not wrestling the match. Brock Lesnar destroys everybody. Fucking flipped that table over and had Booker T and fucking uh I think uh Bradshaw behind there just laying there like they're dead for all sorts of time. When the camera panned back there and Booker looked like he had a smile on his face. I don't know if you knew that they were gonna be filming him at that point, but um yeah, you know, he just fucking wreaked havoc and fucking tossed Michael Cole fucking left a shoe in the ring. Um yeah, it was great stuff. He just just fucking and Brock Lesnar is he's an absolute face now. I mean, he's a badass fucking unstoppable force, but he's an absolute face now. When you get to the point where the authority, which is the um definition of the the heels in the company are telling them like fuck you, you're banned, you're you're suspended, and we own you. The fans want to see him bad as hell. That's definitely a face move right there. You know, the fans even called for one more time on the uh, F5 on the camera guy, and he threw one more time down. So um, we're definitely seeing the beginning of a complete face turn on Brock Lesnar. Um, I wonder if they strip him from Paul uh, Paul Heyman from him or if, um, you know, they they have Paul Heyman cut a little more face-like promos. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. But, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Sheamus came back as a heel, um, you know, with the mohawk and everything. I like his look. I thought it was good. Um, Samurai Del Sol or uh, Kalisto absolutely killed it, debuting on Raw. And uh, Pac, too, came in there and killed it. So that, that's awesome. Um, so, yeah, that, that's pretty much that as far as the WWE goes. Very, very good uh you know, weekend from Mania the Raw. So, uh, yeah, I, my birthday was Saturday. I went out to AC. It's a great fucking time. Um, you know, won a couple bucks on the money wheel. I think about 90 bucks or something the the, uh, the first night. Well, I at least hit the uh, the 90 spot on a... They got those uh, 45 to 1 odds on the Joker or the Harris. We stayed in Harris. And... Uh, yeah, you put two bucks on that, comes up, that's 90 bucks right there. And I won that uh, on the Saturday night. You know, so I was down maybe 40 bucks or something, then won that 90. And then a couple more bucks on a couple uh, smaller things. Money wheel is absolutely my shit now. I, I was really, really big on slots. But slots, it's just too random. And I... I don't like losing fucking money. Obviously, gambling, that's one of the things you're going to do. I've never been a big card player. Um, I don't know how to play cards for the most part. I don't have the patience for it. I'm really not into it. A lot of those things, there's always going to be someone better than you. Uh, The dealer is going to always be a little better than you, I think. Um, People get into those false sense of securities that they're going to be the shit at it, and that's how people lose fucking hundreds of thousands of dollars out there because they get way up and then they get that confidence. But, um, you know, gambling could be very random. And obviously there's luck involved in everything you do out there. But um, I I think slots is just too random to me. It's like the mystery mixed up in this fucking machine and you just hope your fucking shit comes up. And I just, I don't know. I put 20 in and I, I wind up with nothing. I'm leery about putting that fucking second 20 in. By the second 20 lost, 
I'm not one of these guys that's like, now I'm going to hit and get those two 20s back plus a lot more. Like, you better start paying me by the end of my second 20 or I don't want to play anymore. Like, I don't like continuing to throw my money away. It's like, you know, I mean, I have a hard time doing that shit. That's like, you know, walking around, uh, you know, giving bums $20 a piece and going, hey, man, make something out of yourself and don't forget me. And hoping one of those homeless guys are going to go be fucking rich and come back and hook you up. That's what I feel like with fucking slots because it's like, all right, man, how many of these fucking 20s before something happens? Or does nothing happen and I just feed all my money into the machines and go home? Like, that's it's fucking silly. Um, but the money wheel, man, you can really see everything in front of you. You know what I mean? And you kind of hedge your bets. You play a couple on the uh, lower, lower, uh, Lower prizes, better odds, $2 or $5 or $1. You know, those come up more often. So you put a couple bucks on those, and that kind of, you know, wins back a couple of the bucks that you might be betting on the higher numbers. But if those higher numbers come in, you win your fucking money plus, 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 plus. 45 times or 20 times, whatever you put down. You could put 20 bucks, and you could stand there for 20, 30 minutes. You know, I mean, it. You play it right, you can really stretch your fucking money out and have a good time watching and playing and, you know, that whole thing. Um, slots, man, that shit can go in a fucking heartbeat. And you go, okay, well, am I done for the night or do I just keep giving my money? So, um, all about the money room. Anyway, um, like I said, stated Harris, um, that I didn't know that they had, uh, the whole pool bar thing. We had a, we had a comp room. And uh, they have this, like, pool bar situation. It's it's indoor pool, completely domed, uh, pretty cool, you know, setup. And at night, it's uh, the pool after dark, and it's like a club. And they, you know, they got all the crazy lights going and a DJ and, you know, performances and stuff. And apparently, Aloe Black, who I did not know and still barely know who the fuck that is, and apparently it's, a, like, a black dude that sings country music to club beats. And um, this dude was there on that night, which, you know, I didn't go into the joint. I didn't bring a bathing suit, and I uh, I wasn't in my plans to do any, you know, club fucking performance type attending. You know, I was there to gamble, hotel room, the whole thing there, like that, that whole thing. Um, so apparently he was there that night, and then at WrestleMania the next night singing the national anthem. So um, that was pretty interesting. Um so, yeah, um, I, like I said, it was a pretty cool setup just to see it. And next time, you know, I got another comp there, I'll bring my fucking bathing suit and you know, go check it out that way. Um, went out, you know, as far as the uh, the food thing went, I, I just, I, you know, I wanted a good burger and shit. So we actually, uh, you know, we were set up at Howard's over there, but parked the car, uh, you know, then did the whole thing. Uh, you know, then we decided to drive over to the boardwalk area and, uh, you know, go, you know, stroll through that mall and that mall is, um, it's days are numbered, which is, it's a shame because it's a beautiful mall, man. Like I remember when they first built that shit, it's like a ship. If anybody's hasn't been there, doesn't know what I'm talking about. Um, it's like a ship that's like docked on the boardwalk. That's like the whole theme of the mall. Like it's supposed to be like parked into the boardwalk and um 
the amount of money that they put into this thing, they used to, and they removed that, they used to way down the end of the thing, um, because, you know, when you go all the way down to the end of the thing, this thing is in the fucking ocean, more or less, you know, it's, I mean, the beach ends within the first couple hundred feet of the mall, and then, you know, the mall keeps going out, so, you know, this shit's pretty cool the way it's laid out, but way down towards the end, there was a fountain that would change, you know, lights and colors and patterns, and they would play crazy music and shit that went to the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the fountain would go to the theme of the music, and um, they had it all set up out there, and, you know, the three-story mall, the fountain water would shoot up, you know, three stories, so you could watch it from, and they had, like, seating for it, that's how, like, cool it was, and it was like a, you know, a light water show, more or less, with the whole thing and the music going, and you can go and sit on any one of the three levels of the mall, and that, you know, that water would shoot up through that big column, and, you, you, you know, you could sit there and watch this shit, it was cool as hell, apparently that's gone, they removed that, um, but the bigger thing about that is, man, like, I'd say 60% of that mall is empty. Like, big fucking crazy done-up storefronts with no store in there. You know, damn well, like, at one point or another, there was a shitload of money poured into, you know, whatever store it may be in order to facilitate what their facade was going to be and everything, and then just a fucking sign on it that says, like, um, you know, space open, fucking, uh, you know, for rent or whatever the case is, you know, oh man, so much fucking empty space, man. It's a shame. It's like walking down a fucking street that used to be flourishing with businesses and now it's all fucking boarded up. That's what half of that mall looks like, man. And it's still, you know, it's still got some of that allure to it as far as like the looks and the, uh, the aesthetic of it. But, man, it's it's got way too much vacancy in there, way too much. I'm not going to be surprised when it's completely fucking done. Um, and it's a shame, man. They got the walkover from Caesars, so, you, you know, you don't even need to go into the onto the boardwalk if you don't want. You can walk right over from the fucking Caesars floor into that mall, uh, you know, hit that shit up. Three floors. The top floor is all, like, nice restaurants and shit. And uh, like I said, overlooking the ocean the way it does, it's fucking, it's tight, man. But there's a lot in AC that's struggling, and that's that's definitely uh, that's definitely one of the things that's struggling right now, pretty heavy. So, uh, I mean, maybe summertime when the business starts booming, those stores will fill up a little better. But, uh, yeah, it's a shame. Um, so, anyway, we went over to Johnny Rockets. I wanted to get a, you know, a burger. So, I went over there, you know, uh Got some kind of I forget what the fuck. Oh, I, I built my own. That's what it is. Um, the only thing I will criticize on the fucking Johnny Rockets burger because it was banging is they they offer you to put onion rings on the shit. Uh, fucking you know the deep fried onion rings charge you a dollar thirty something for two, and they tell you like it's gonna be two onion rings. You expect these big thick ass onion rings. These motherfuckers were like like quarters. <laughs> These motherfuckers are like like quarter size fucking onion rings. I'm like, you gotta be motherfucking kidding me, man. Um, they might as well put like a handful on there if they were gonna downgrade the size and still charge you a buck thirty for the motherfucking burger. Was still banging, so you know what can you do? Um, so did that whole thing. 
and uh, you know, you know, played around the casinos, and then said, "Yeah, all right, let's head back because, uh, you know, I, I want to play some more, but um, you know, the more night falls, you're better off wherever you're staying. I mean, if you gotta walk to the fucking car in a parking lot three blocks away, and you just happen to hit three grand that you're gonna walk around your pocket, yeah, probably not as as bright of an idea. So you might as well go." you know, play up in the casino you're actually staying in and, and hope to hit the biggest fucking jackpot possible and, uh, you know, you know, ha- have that shit right there with you. But, um, so, you know, we go back at the car, head back to the joint, um, you know, like I said, play the money wheel some more. And then the, the drunk bitches that are walking around these casinos at night, it's just hilarious. They all got the fucking high heels walking around like baby giraffes, like they don't know how to use their legs yet. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. But, um, so yeah, you know, like I said, did pretty fucking well on the money wheel. Um, I went and got a, it was called a peanut butter bomb. This fucking thing was like, um, it looked like a, like a softball. And it had a chocolate cake underneath it, peanut butter mousse. And then it was covered with this fucking glazed chocolate, chocolate like shell, but it wasn't hard, like, you know, like chocolate on top of that shit. It's fucking crazy. It's called a peanut butter bomb. That shit was banging. And then, um, they had gelato out there too that looked fucking crazy. I didn't get any of that, but this shit looks like art, man. You look at like the, the thing, and, um, actually, my next week guest, uh, Joey Janella, when I when I asked Facebook how the fuck do they make it look like this, he apparently used to work in a restaurant that served gelato, and he's like, "There's a special machine," which I didn't fucking know that man. I never worked anywhere like that, so I figured it, there's got to be some talented motherfucker in the back doing something. But um, yeah, it looked way too fancy to be doing by hand. But even that man, like, I don't know how they pulled all that shit out of there and then go fucking put it in there looking pretty again in the morning. You know, because they got to keep that shit looking right all the time. And that shit looks fancy as fuck, so I don't know. But shit's cool. It's so much out there. You just walk and look. And, I mean, that's one of the coolest things to AC, as far as AC goes to me. It's just the scenery. They'll just pour fucking multi-million dollars into, you know, one business. And two years later, that business is wiped from the fucking face of the earth, and there's another couple million dollars poured into another business in that same spot. And it's just done up to the fullest extent. Like, this shit is so, you know, so intense how far they go with the theming. And they don't, you know, they go all in. There's no just, like, slap a little sign on the front of the building and now that's your restaurant. These motherfuckers are like, you know, raise this ceiling, fucking pull this back, fucking rip these out, put these walls in, put do this, do that, new lighting, new this, new that. Like, you don't see any of that shit where it's like, hey, that bank used to be a Taco Bell, didn't it? Because, you know, they're shaped the same way. I mean, in AC, man, they really rip shit to the motherfucking rafters, if not further down and rebuild that shit into some kind of colossal building. It's just really cool. And night two, I don't know if I've ever seen that before. Um, I've always been around, like, the boardwalk area, and a lot of those casinos don't have it as much. But, like, Harris and Golden Nuggets over there by where we were staying, 
the side of these buildings at night turn into fucking billboards. They have, like, full pictures of, like, the dude that's performing in there flashing up on the side of the building. And then, like, you know, like, scrolling letters that says, da, 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 you know, this guy that night, fucking July, this guy's coming. And, and it's crazy as hell looking. This shit looks like a like a screen, like a giant screen, but it's it's the building. So it's crazy as fuck seeing, like, a you know, a hundred story or I don't know, probably not a hundred story, but you know what I mean, like a thirty story fucking billboard, lit up billboard that's the actual building. But um, yeah, cool shit, man. I always loved the aura of uh, AC. I'm definitely gonna have to do a lot more of it because I, you know, I fell off of doing that shit years. You know, too much of going in there, losing your money. I was never a big gambler, but I was more like a big. Um, I'm a stubborn motherfucker, man. See, if you take my money, I'm probably not gonna want to come back the next time. Um, and then that's kind of where I sided with the, uh, the AC thing. So like I was saying, um, so then, yeah, man, I, uh, I got a little bit into these Funko pop things, which I didn't, uh, expect to get into. My daughter's got me, um, a couple of them, Wicket from Star Wars, which I was a big Star Wars kid back in the day. So, uh, the Ewok from Star Wars, they got me and they got me the Predator cause I love the Predator. So then, you know, I'm a huge gremlin mark, so I'm like, ah, fuck, man. I can't own these fucking things if I'm not going to get gremlins. So I got gremlin, uh, the gremlin and the gizmo off of the Amazon and Roger Rabbit and Jessica Rabbit because I'm a huge Roger Rabbit mark. So now, you know, now I got six of these fucking things. So I don't know. I, I'm at least done for now. I'm not trying to go crazy with this fucking shit. Um and, uh, you know, I mean, we'll see. There's, there's a couple I like. I like the Chucky one, and I'll see. But I'm not I'm not trying to get 100 of these fucking things. I'm really not. I'm really, really not. So um, there's that. Um, another thing that happened was, um, this is my other thing, is um, I was commenting on the situation with Teddy Hart because, you know, I was there and everything else, but when I saw it, um, I turned my back. So I didn't even see, like, the height of how high this fucking cat went. I just knew he was throwing it. I didn't want to see it. I turned my fucking back and walked away. Um, I explained, you know, my my, uh, distaste for it last week. But Seeing the pictures Scott Finkelstein posted, um, you can see the cat's 15 feet in the fucking air. Easily. You know what I mean? Like, a basketball hoop is 10. He was at least 5 feet higher than that shit. So this fucking guy's throwing this cat, and you can see his fucking back arch trying to figure out how he's going to fucking land and flailing around in the air because there's two pictures that are probably a half a second apart, and the cat's body is positioned two completely separate ways. And again, I worked with cat for 14 fucking years, so don't tell me what is okay and what isn't okay with a cat, all right? So I'm posting, like, this is some bullshit here, and, you know, where's the disgust for, you know, what's going on here? Everybody wants to be a fucking judge and jury about what's professional in wrestling. Everybody wants to bastardize people and call people unprofessional and this and this. Well, you know, what's up with this? This is clear fucking animal abuse. This guy's blowing fucking weed smoke in in a cat's face on shoot interviews and fucking launching a cat 15 feet in the air. All things he doesn't need to do for popularity because Teddy's extremely talented. So so where's the fucking outrage for this? 
So, you know, and I was comparing it to the Dickinson thing. I'm like, so everybody's really outraged with uh, Dickinson, quote-unquote, interrupting the 10 bell when he didn't. He came in afterwards just to work the heel promo thing. And um, But nobody's really, you know, up in arms about fucking animal abuse on a wrestling show. Is that what's up? Like, So I was more or less, you know, putting it out there like that. You know, and exchanging comments with a couple people. You know, and making it clear that I don't blame Fat Frank or Pierre or any of those guys that run Jersey All Pro because nobody knew that Teddy was going to go throw a cat 15 feet in the air. He wasn't like, yeah, guys, okay, so we're going to do this, we'll do that for the finish, and then I'm going to throw the cat 15 feet in the air. Like, nobody got the fucking heads up on that. And uh, Pierre was saying they didn't even know he was going to bring the cat until he showed up with the cat. So, I, and, and, I was never at a standpoint of blaming them for it. I'm not one of these guys that's like, they should be shut down for allowing that. Like, again, it wasn't ironed out that way. Um, now you know there's a possibility of that type of thing happening. Makes you think, like, Teddy might not show up on a lot of shows. Um, you know, he should probably be told by a bunch of people at this point, leave the cat out of the act. You know what I mean? So whatever, but I don't I don't blame those guys because it's it wasn't those guys' call, and uh, they didn't you know know about it to avoid it. So anyway, I'm going on about you know how I feel about this shit. And again, I fucking work with cats. Don't tell me what cats like and what they don't like. It's absolute fucking bullshit. Um, and who chimes in? But the fucking necro butcher. Of all people on the planet, and not to mention, earlier in the day, I had read another one of his ridiculously pathetic fucking woe is me, um, the necro butcher posts on Facebook, where he was posting that this girl kicked him out of the house, and um, he got kicked out, and don't tell him he didn't get kicked out because that's what it means when he doesn't want to go and people make him leave the house. And if anyone needs him, he's got a Greyhound bus ticket or some kind of shit like this he's saying. And he's going to be crying about her for a long time. He, that's all he knows is he's going to be crying. And it's like, you know, and I, I made a post that was just like, you know, do do wrestlers not know that some of the shit that they post on, on the internet completely ruins their image? You know what I mean? Because, and it's not like, hey, man, I don't think he's a tough guy anymore. Believe me, one, one fucking thing I'm very, very convinced of is the Necro Butcher is a tough guy. That's one thing I'm very, very convinced of. Um, one thing I'm not convinced of is there's any fucking reason in the world why I should respect this fucking piece of shit. And and, and let me fucking, I'm going to go further and further into this. Um, because this fucking guy made it very, very public that he beat the shit out of his wife. Very fucking public. There were pictures on the internet of her bruised up face and her her telling the world because he put out there his side of the story where he didn't deny it at all. And he said, oh, it was because she took my money for, for Disney World. So while well, I was really mad and what would you do, put yourself in my shoes, blah, 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 blah. And then she came out with the fucking pictures of her face all fucked up and everything and said, hey, by the way, like, 
I'm curled up in a ball and he's relentlessly punching me in the head and I'm begging him to stop so the kids don't see him beating me. Like, this is what the fuck was going on in this guy's life, and he had no problem with it being public. And he was continuously whining and crying on Facebook, not that, hey, I fucked up, not that, oh, my God, what a terrible thing I did with my life. He's going fucking, I can't believe they're not letting me see my fucking kids right now. This is bullshit. She's not even answering my fucking calls and blah, blah, blah. I should kill myself. And, and acting like a teenage girl on fucking Facebook. Right? Um, there's a girl, um, Tony, and um, my boy Paul's girl, and um, she was tired of reading his woe is me stuff. And uh, this was right amongst that and was like, dude, if you're going to kill yourself, just go ahead and do it already because, you know, we're tired of hearing about the shit. So, you know, hey, harsh or whatever, but this is how she reacted to his continuous I'm going to kill myself post. His response to her in the same week that he had just finished beating his wife, um, shut your mouth or you can eat my fist too. This is how he responded to another female who he doesn't know personally over the internet in response to what the fuck he was doing. So this is his shit. This is, this is what he's all good at with. And I've talked to other people too that know him personally and said that this dude has beaten probably four to five women. Like, this is his deal. He gets mad. He's in a relationship. They get fucking hit. That's bottom line. So he's a fucking certified woman beater. Bottom fucking line. And then weeks later, he's on the internet. Why I can't see my kids? Why can't I see my kids? This fucking piece of shit judge. Yeah, blame the judge when you're bludgeoning women and now you can't see your kids. Like, it's some fucking complete random mystery why you're not seeing your kids when you're beating a woman senseless and she's curled in a ball begging you to fucking stop. Because that's what a fucking man does. See, now a lot of people like to, they they like to glaze over this. They like to make this where, oh, we can't say anything about that. Well, he's a good guy. No, no, Dylan's my friend. No, no, I like Dylan. I can't say anything. You know, like fucking DJ. DJ's a coward because DJ went on his fucking shoot interview and talked shit about some fucking garbage wrestler, fucking nobody, talking about beating him up because it's one thing I don't stand for is women abuse. One thing I don't stand for is women abuse. And when I asked him on my show about it and said, hey, what about the necro butcher? Being you don't stand for women abuse. Well, I don't. I don't think he wants to put that out there. That actually there all over his Facebook. Well, that's his personal business. Well, that's his personal business. Then it clearly, that's one thing you do stand for, depending on on how big of a name the fucking person is. Me personally, I don't give a fuck, man. You know, is is the necro butcher a bad motherfucker that doesn't give a shit? Sure, absolutely, absolutely. I'm not questioning his toughness one fucking bit. I don't think he's done anything to make someone believe that that guy isn't a bad motherfucker. But these are the type of things a piece of fucking complete white trash does. Punching me in the fucking face isn't going to prove that wrong. You're still a piece of white trash. So basically, um, before I go, I'll, I'll go back into how I feel about him, but he pops up and tells me, People don't know what they're talking about. What are, what, are we going to shut the circus down next? Well, first off, circuses abuse the fuck out of animals, and they are removing elephants from fucking big-name fucking circuses now because there, there are countless, countless fucking abuse cases constantly of them dragging elephants around by hooks, 
putting them in these little trucks and driving them all over the fucking country. You think that's a good life for an animal being in a fucking trailer the most of their fucking life and, and shitting, you know, within two feet of their fucking body and living there, getting fed and fucking drugging and out by a hooks, paraded around in a circle and shoved back in a fucking truck because your stupid fucking redneck ass likes to sit in the fucking bleachers and watch them parade around in the circle is why that should be okay. That's a good fucking life for an animal. So he goes on and on about people don't know what they're talking about. Bo Cleese, which I guess is Mr. Money's uh, shoot name. I don't know because I guess his work name is Mr. Money. This is all bullshit. Um, he fucking he goes, oh, he's a trained he's a trained performer. Go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. You throw a cat fifteen feet in the air and the cat's a performer now. No, you're a jerk off. You're a jerk off. You're all jerk off. One's a shiny pants wearing fucking custom suit, fucking gym suit jerk off, and the other's a white trash jerk off. Both jerk offs. That's what it is, dude. I work with cats. You can't just fucking throw a cat in the air all the time and go, he's used to it now, so he's a trained performer. Your asshole's a trained performer. Fuck you, dude. And this is, and then he's going on and on. The people don't know what they're talking about. That cat lives better than most people do. He has more frequent flyer miles than most of these these kids that want to play wrestler. Really? So again, the cat fucking spending his life in a fucking carrier on a plane is a better life than. Do you understand that a plane ride for a fucking animal is not a status symbol? you understand that a cat on a fucking plane doesn't make him Ric Flair and makes him a cat that can't walk around the motherfucking house? Are you that fucking stupid? So anyway, I get told this bullshit by the Necro Butcher. Um, a friend of mine, uh, John Short, otherwise known to people as uh, Johnny Calzone. Um, and I, you know... I already felt all of these things about the Necro Butcher. I've said it on my show, obviously, people don't listen, but that's fine. Um, and I've said this, you know, as, as how I feel about how he conducts his life and, and what a horrible fucking parent and, and, you know, spouse or whatever the case is that you want to call him. You know, the fact that he beats the fucking shit out of women and asshole fucking dickhead wrestling fans are on there going, you're the man, Necro, you're the best, fuck that bitch. Really, every fucking fan that supports the dude that beats his fucking wife by telling him he's the man, I want you motherfuckers to jump off something extremely large where you don't come back from. That's what I want all you fucking scumbags to do. Because you think he's cool because he drinks a lot of fucking beer and smokes weed with you before the fucking show. Good. Go fucking kill yourself, you scumbag motherfuckers, because if it was your mother or your sister, your girlfriend that he wound up with and punched the fucking face off of, you wouldn't take offense to that? You would think he's a good fucking dude because he likes metal and fucking has a weed tattoo? Is is that what's up? Oh, because he wrestled a really good match that you liked and it's fucking rad that he bleeds? Oh, wait, he doesn't do that anymore. Different story there. Um, so anyway, uh, John... John writes a comment more or less saying, like, oh, wow, um, you know, this, this guy who's a deadbeat dad and um, and a woman beater is now going to tell us, you know, what's right and wrong in life. That, that's interesting. And I just liked his comment. That's all I did. I was still playing the fucking quiet role. 
Um, you know, and and I just like the fucking comment. So this fucking guy deletes me as a friend off of Facebook, which is fine. But then he posts on his own wall that I can catch a punch for even liking that comment. To uh, to which response Ian let me know about and went and liked the comment right behind me. So if he wants to punch people for liking comments, he can go punchy and rotten as well. You know what I mean? So that that's that's the type of shit that I'm talking about though. This fucking guy he, he thinks he can he thinks this shit is all real life. He could just fucking work his fucking gimmick and then walk out of the ring, punch women in the face, fucking punch fans, he's just gonna punch his way through fucking life and, and that's that. And and it's bullshit. It's absolute bullshit. He's fucking garbage. You know, I was told years ago that the Necro Butcher is nothing like his, his shit in the ring is. Man, you wouldn't believe how intelligent this guy is. This fucking guy is so smart, you wouldn't believe it. And I bought into it, and I talked to him a few times outside of the ring and stuff, and he just seemed like a really nice guy. He's one of the most entertaining wrestlers of our fucking era, as far as the indie wrestling scene goes. Um, one of the biggest, um, in, you know, in the mid-2000s, mid not maybe not so much late 2000s, but yeah, mid to late 2000s. Um, one of the biggest indie draws. I mean, one of the most fucking entertaining guys in indie wrestling. The fucking guy would kill himself for your entertainment. There's just no... So I was a huge fan of Um The turns that he chose to took his, take his life is disgusting to me. And I don't see where what he did in the ring should make me feel any differently about that. I think it's fucking deplorable. And I think people should be judged on their fucking actions. And honestly, if he just not didn't make his fucking horrible, ridiculous, fucking pathetic life public, I wouldn't know shit about it. But he doesn't even give a fuck about his own life, not going public enough to fucking protect his own image. And that's the type of shit I was talking about. This fucking guy could babe his whole shit and just not put it on the fucking internet. Every fucking day you can read his goddamn statuses. Last week it was, oh man, I shouldn't have fucked my girl twice in a row and then took Cialis. We've been fucking for like three hours and I asked her, could we just stop fucking already? And then that, that, that prompts, oh Necro, you're the man. Oh shit, you're the man. Fucking three days later, four days later. So my girl kicked me out of the house, and now like I need, I need a couch to crash on. I got like a Greyhound ticket. Somebody could pick me up from the bus station and shit. And it's like, dude, what the fuck does this need to be out there for? It's fucking ridiculous. And that's the only reason I have to form an opinion on this fucking dude because I wouldn't know shit about him otherwise. But this is the way he portrays himself. And then he also feels that he can walk around and give fucking life lessons to people. He could tell people, oh, this bullshit. Fucking, this cat's a trained professional. Fuck you. Fuck you. And then you're going to punch me in the fucking face? Let me give you a spoiler alert on exactly how that's going to go down. Because I'm not fighting the fucking necro butcher. You're going to jail. And then you're going to fucking find a way to fucking use your one phone call to post on Facebook. Someone come bail me out. 
I punched some fucking guy in the face for liking a comment on Facebook and talking shit on his podcast. Come bail me out. I'm the Necro Butcher still. Remember me from the wrestler and the and the fucking tough crazy bastards? Come fucking bail me out. That's what you're gonna be saying. That that's spoiler alert on that, number one. Number two, I'm not gonna go, you know, uh extremely blatant on this, but has anybody noticed why um the the Necro Butcher who would bleed in every fucking match every fucking match he works doesn't bleed anymore? You ever wonder why the Necro Butcher who's on Facebook begging for fucking bookings and and begging and bitching how nobody fucking books him anymore hasn't wound up in any deathmatch tournaments lately? Has anybody realized like any any correlation there? Has anybody thought about you know why why this uh there's the lack of that in Necro's matches? I don't know, maybe look into it. But that that also kind of plays into the level of charges they get levied against somebody if you walk around attacking people with certain things going on, you know, health-wise. So there's a few things that you might want to take into consideration. But either way, I don't respect the fucking guy. There's nothing he can do physically to me that would make me respect him. He could fucking kill me, and it's not going to – my last breath won't be respecting the fucking Necro Butcher. He can kiss my ass. Fuck him. And that that's bottom line, man. Like, I, I don't like getting fucking people threatening me. I'm not like – I'm a fucking guy who – I pay respect to people. You know what I mean? I have certain feelings. I, I'm very passionate about certain things, such as animals. And, you know, I'm going to have a different opinion if you're just like, fuck them. Let them throw cats in the air, goddammit. You don't know shit. Well, I'm sorry, but I do know a lot more than you think I know. Um, I mean, your ignorant attitude is not going to change my opinion where I go, well, the necro butcher told me it's okay to throw cats in the air. I guess I'll just be okay and I'll shut my mouth because I'm just some fucking asshole. No, I'm a 37-year-old fucking man who has three kids in the other room right now sleeping, which is a lot different than Necro's situation where his fucking kids are nowhere near where he's sleeping tonight. You can go to his Facebook, which on many different nights and occasions I've seen, well, woke up in the Walmart parking lot today. Wow, what did I drink last night? Whoop, on a lot of acid tonight. Whose couch can I crash on tonight? Doesn't sound like fucking father of the year to me, but he'll tell you the judge fucked him. He'll tell you to judge fuck them, but I'll tell you how I fucking work. Six days a week for the past 14 years at my job. I'm in the same fucking house as my kids. I love my kids. My kids love me. That's, that's how I operate my life, man. I like wrestling as, as, as my, one of my forms of entertainment. I have a lot of passion about animals, and I take care of animals for a living. So, hey, man, you can judge me against that. Maybe I'm just a dickhead for saying everything I just said. Maybe I'm a complete fucking asshole. You don't agree with me? Necro's your fucking boy. But you put what the fuck I am day in and day out up against what he is in day in and day out and judge for yourself, man. And that's completely your, your decision and your call to make. I'm a guy who works every fucking day taking care of animals. I come home. I take care of my kids. I support my kids. I don't beat the shit out of the girl I'm with. And... The other guy is getting as high and fucking drunk as he can every single minute of the day, every day, 
not taking care of his fucking kids and beating any woman he's with. So you fucking make your own call. Fuck that shit, man. I am not trying to hear that dumb shit. I don't give a fuck how hard he punches fucking people. Dude, this ain't fucking wrestling. Same fucking wrestling. So if I see a fucking a Greyhound bus with a piece of shit on it, then I know that, you know, fuck, uh-oh, I better get out of the way of this fucking lumbering redneck and his fucking punches. Chances are that's not going to happen. So, whatever, man. And, you know, I go to some wrestling shows. He winds up being booked. I wind up being there. Hey, whatever, man. I, I, I just, I guarantee you it's not going to go down to fucking fun happy fucking gimmick wrestling way where you punch people and they fucking job out and you go home smiling and drinking. It's not going to go down that way. So anyway, um, check out my boy, Andrew Carluck over there at uh, false count radio. He's uh, doing his thing there. My guys at the sports den actually finally got back on the air tonight. I believe they started their show at 10. So those they're definitely still fucking talking at this point because they got like months to catch up on. Um, their schedules have been way off and stuff, so they haven't, um, you know, they haven't been able to uh, do shows for a while. But yeah, man, um, my next week's guest is Joey Janella. He is killing it on the fucking indies, and I'm looking forward to talking to that guy. So should be good stuff, man. And um, you know, I think the week after that is best of the best, man. Time is flying like a motherfucker, and my race is coming up on the 18th. Um, training, fucking. I'm doing everything I can, man, to get my shit ready for this. So, um, yeah, that's what's up. Um, I think that's about all I got for tonight. So, um, hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope I didn't hurt anybody's feelings. <laughs> anyway, um, thanks for checking me out. Uh, fuck, I, would do a, I mean, anybody who's listened to the show before already knows that I don't have the fucking goddamn song ready. Um, there we go. So, yeah, check me out next week. I appreciate it. Peace. Don't